thousand dollars was. Welcome back, guys, to our final episode in our Spooktober series. Thank God. <laughs> I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And today we're going to be talking about 1998's Halloween H2O. So isn't it technically Halloween H2O 20 years later? Yes. Like if you read the whole thing? Yes. That's a stupid title. <laughs> anyway, this film was directed by Steve Miner, um, who had some horror pedigree with Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3, or at least that's what I know him from. So as far as I can tell that's really kind of his thing he did friday the 13th part three and he did friday the 13th part two but i think he did the second phantasm movie Mm -hmm. he just i don't know his filmography was not all that impressive to me there's a shitload of tv in there well so uh provided friday the 13th part three is not one of my favorite entries that still earns enough cred for me i guess yeah yeah i mean i can see that if you if you love those movies then that makes sense but it just nothing in nothing in the the stable or whatever of any of the people in this movie as far as the, the guy that wrote it they actually wrote it yeah the director the sound guy the cinematographer nothing they did jumped out at me yeah it's, except that I, I believe that he had these people before on his team and he kind of brought them with him to h2o yeah there, there was some some overlap there but again i've stopped looking at everything that somebody did and just for the purposes of our channel just look you know what other horror movies have they really done right and it's not a lot i mean we're gonna get into it but i feel like that's kind of reflected in this movie yeah so we've also got a bonus for you today too guys uh after we get done covering this we're gonna give our brief like first impressions of halloween kills god so. damn right woohoo <laughs> We did that with Candyman and we thought, you know, we could do that again this time. That'd be fun. Yeah, so I really want to go ahead and do the spoiler review <laughs> because we've got it on Peacock. So don't right. it's mm-hmm. not we're not bootlegging it. We didn't record this shit on our cell phones or anything. Mm-hmm. On Peacock, if you've got that, you can just watch it like as many times yeah. as you want. No, so. we did we did take an afternoon and we did go watch it in theaters so you could get the proper experience, but we had two more <laughs> two more interested parties that wanted to watch it and so we watched it on peacock last night for the second time yeah turn off all the lights turn the sound way up yeah turn the sound bar up (laughs) yeah yeah it was pretty good yeah i feel like like one of these days we're gonna have to actually invest in surround sound though because that would have been cool like if we had the speakers behind us and shit where you know you hear something creeping up behind you and you're like oh my god what the fuck (laughs) is that me or is that the movie no i think you can and i think you can tell when you go into someone's house how important cinema is to them Mm -hmm. just based purely on the size of the television in the room Right. Like if you get a giant TV in there, they're either big sports fans or they are big movie fans. Right. And so of course we're the latter. We, so I remember like, we what, what size is our TV? It's like a... Damn big. <laughs> did we get a 70? I can't it's remember. A 70 or but 75, something like that. I remember when we got it, I was like, okay, the first thing I got to watch is uh, season three, episode eight of Twin Peaks because it's just this big cinematic wonderfulness. <laughs> and I was like, that's the first thing I've got to watch because... Because if you know, you know. So yeah. I won't elaborate. So let's circle back around to the movie. Because <laughs> now you're the one getting off topic. Usually it's me. <laughs> right. So this movie was released in 1998. And critically, it's sort of middle of the road. It's not the worst one we've done. It's not the best one we've done. IMDb, it's a, it's a 5.8 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes, is it's 52%. And Metacritic, is also it's 52. So it literally is in the middle. It's, it's I guess, divided. You either like this movie or you don't like this movie. Yeah. I've got a soft spot for it, I guess. Because this was actually the first one I saw in theaters when it came out. I, I was either in eighth or ninth grade, not sure. But me and a group of friends went to see it. It was 
like me and my sister and one of her friends and one of my friends. And I remember just being completely floored. Like I left that movie on a high. I thought it was, it was wonderful. And I mean, it, it is good, but you know, not looking through nostalgia glasses, we definitely saw the faults that it has now. And it's sadly, it's extremely dated. Yeah, it really is. So as far as critical reviews, uh, Lawrence Van Gelder with the New York Times said it's more marketing trick than moviegoer treat. Stephen Hunter with the Washington Post said that the movie directed by Steve Miner, a Friday the 13th vet, never quite gins up the giddy, sick, politically incorrect power of the more high-powered screams of late. Right. And then Michael O'Sullivan with the Washington Post says that the 20th anniversary sequel to the groundbreaking horror film in the sixth in an increasingly awful series about the bulletproof murderer Michael Myers is a styless and predictable affair. Right. And that's that's a problem that I have with it now is... And I, okay, so a couple of nights ago, we rewatched 78's Halloween. And because of what we're doing now, I watched, watched it with new eyeballs, I guess. And I really went in like, okay, I'm not watching it for background noise. I'm not having it just run as a part of my marathon. I'm really going to watch it and really take everything in. And it blew me the hell away. I, I don't know what changed this time, but I'm sitting and of course, like I said, we, we set the scene, we turned off all the lights, turned the sound way up. And I was really amazed at how much I kept getting chills and kept getting tense. Like I even kind of made note of the way my breathing had changed throughout the movie just because I'd gotten nervous, even though I've seen Halloween a hundred times, you know, and I knew what was coming, but something about watching it and really focusing on it. Yeah, it was just different this time. And so, yeah, going and watching the subsequent movies after that, it really, like we've said this multiple times throughout this month, that you really find a new appreciation for the original. And it's just really sad that once they started losing steam in that franchise that they decided to borrow from what was popular at the time, which is funny because those movies were borrowing from its original. So that doesn't make sense to me. They had kind of a group share thing going on. Yeah, so that's something that I found interesting is that John Ottman did the score on this. And I think it was on 25 Years of Terror that we were watching Mm -hmm. where it shows some segments of the movie with his original score. And his original score was not great. I think he did pretty good with the Halloween theme. Mm -hmm. But from what we saw, the music that was cut in with some of the scenes just didn't fit very well. Yeah. It was too big. One of the things that John Carpenter did, I think, in the first one that fits really well is that the music was in the background and it it contributed to the overall feeling Mm -hmm. without detracting from what's happening on the screen. And John Ottman's original score was very busy. It seemed very loud and it kind of took away from what was happening in front of you on screen. Right. And as big as that original score is to us as fans, at the end of the day, it's still simple. It's simple and effective. Correct. But... What they did in this one is that because they didn't like it during post-production, they actually cut in music from Scream right. into this movie. Mm-hmm. I guess it was unused tracks. Or no, no, no. It's score. totally used. There's one scene that's ripped straight out of Tatum's death with the uh, with the garage door. Like, I had never noticed that before until we started doing research for this. And I was right. like, holy shit. But it wasn't just that. They actually 
used several of Marco Beltrami's scores from Scream, Scream 2, and Mimic mm-hmm. in this movie. I don't know. They just, they made a Halloween movie and they wanted to make it Scream. Exactly. And yeah. when you look at the, Kevin Williamson, I guess, did the initial treatment on this. He's he's actually credited as a co-executive producer because the Writers Guild didn't think that he had done enough to satisfy the requirements for a writing credit, but they felt like, the, the producers felt like he had contributed enough to give him a producing credit. I don't, I don't know how that shit works, but apparently he did a lot of the rewrites, particularly on the kids dialogue and you can tell and I because guess I... it sounds like a combination of Scream and fucking Dawson's Creek I, I don't like Kevin Williamson's writing I'm just gonna be honest with you I don't care for it I don't I don't feel like his the way he portrays kids or teenagers is realistic right they're too damn smart I didn't talk <laughs> like that when I was a kid I said right. fuck a lot <laughs> and I mean I guess I always knew that this money was a cash grab in some sense just because it's 20 years later, Jamie Lee Curtis was coming back on board, but I guess I didn't realize until after the fact just how much that was. They they were trying to make a buck. They did this movie because she was willing to come back. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, not because, because we needed one, not because somebody had a great idea. Yeah, because otherwise they were going straight to video with this entry. From what I read, she had the idea to, hey, call up John Carpenter, what if we do a 20th anniversary thing? And it was she was going to do it for the fans. She ended up doing it for the money at right. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But initially it was like, hey, let's do basically a 20-year class thank reunion you. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. sorts. A thank you to the fans. And they just turned it into money. I don't know. Which, to be fair, this is still the third highest grossing uh, in terms of domestic box office, the third highest in the franchise. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people bought tickets. Yeah. People watched it. There are people out there that really like it. Like I said, I, I, I've got a soft spot for it. I... <laughs> My opinion on it has changed, but I can still respect it for what it was and what they were trying to accomplish. Did they go about it the wrong way? Absolutely. Yeah. All things considered, it did fairly well for 1998. 1998 was kind of a big year for movies. Saving Private Ryan came out that year. Armageddon came out that year. There's something about Mary. There were some big movies that came out. Big action and big comedy. Mm -hmm. So it had a lot of competition because there really weren't a ton of horror movies that came out. I mean, it did make it inside like your top 50 box office performances for 1998. But it was number 40 out yeah, of that. The so only other one of note great. is The Faculty, which was number 50. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Josh Hartnett's first movie was number 40, and his second movie was number 50. Yeah. So it, it didn't do well. What does my heart well is that it got beat. It got beat by The Waterboy. <laughs> The Wedding Singer and Blade, and I like all three of those movies. Yeah. Well, I would say I like those front two more than I like Blade. Blade's never been been my thing exactly. I like Blade better than I like H2O. <laughs> I do. At least it's got some comedy in it. There's nothing funny about H2O. I will pick up H2O before I pick up Blade. I'm just saying. Yeah. And the movie had potential. It could have been better, but they weren't willing to front the money for John Carpenter because initially he was going to direct it. He was willing to direct it, but he wanted $10 million up front as a directing fee. And I don't feel like that's unfair because, I mean, anybody who knows the behind the scenes stuff knows that John Carpenter did not get his due for making those movies. He made such little money that why not finally give the guy what he deserves? I mean, the reason we're still talking here fucking 40 years later is because the man made some something amazing and he deserves everything he gets for that as far as I'm concerned. Well, they took his concept, they took his characters and they made millions of dollars off of them, but he really only made money on the first two and it wasn't that much money. Yeah, he didn't make anything. They really kind of shorted him on that and they just continued to make sequels and make sequels and yeah, they give him uh, uh, him and Deborah Hill a writing credit for the characters, but did they make money on that? I've never been able to find anything that says if you get your, your name in there as a writing credit for the characters or the idea that you get any money out of it at all. I mean, I'm sure he 
he had to get something, but nowhere near what those movies actually made. So I don't know that $10 million was unreasonable. No, absolutely not. And how many more tickets would they have sold to this movie if it was John Carpenter's Halloween no H2O? Shit. No shit. I mean, think of how many of us have been coming out in droves for this new trilogy just because he's attached to it. Because it would have been 20 years since you saw John Carpenter's Halloween. Yeah. I, I had to tell you, when we watched 2018 and Kills, um, I actually got chills just seeing his name in the credits. Like, that made my heart, like, really happy. It just brought something to it where it was just like, oh my god, I'm really in this shit now. If his name's in it, you know, that that's it. Yeah. I think when I saw his credits pop in there, like, I, my initial feeling going into Halloween Kills was not, this is going to be awesome. It was, I hope they don't fuck it up. <laughs> because there have been more bad Halloween movies than there have been good Halloween movies. And then when I saw his name in there, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Here we go. Yeah. It's good to have him involved. And they could have had him involved in this one, but Akkad just didn't want to let go of the money. Right. And this was his last Halloween movie, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes, uh, it before was. Before he passed away. So I, that's all I have to say about that. They should have they should have just paid him the damn money. Yeah. I, I feel bad about what happened to him and his daughter in Jordan, but I have not made any bones about how I feel he mistreated this series all just to make a buck. And I still, I still stand by that. I'm not trying to speak ill of the dead or anything, but there's... (laughs) The first movie was a passion project from John Carpenter. Every movie that came after that was about the money. Because he didn't want to do number two. Well, I I think... I don't know that it was a passion project of John Carpenter's per se. I know that well, when Erwin the movie, it Yoblins, feels like it was. Erwin Yoblins, he was the one who wanted to make this movie. It was it it was actually his concept. Well, but I because that. of but Assault you... on Precinct Thirteen, that's why he brought John Carpenter in. And I get that, but you can tell in the first Halloween that John Carpenter was clearly very invested in it. Everybody involved in the production was invested in making that the best movie it could be, and it shows on film when you watch it. You can tell that their heart wasn't in it, and all the rest. Of them. Right. All even part two, you can tell, even though it's good and it's better than four, five, six, this one, Rob Zombie, even though it's still better than all the ones well, that came after it. They still had Dean Cundy involved, and so you still got that flavor from the original. Right, right. And, and that's I, something that yeah. they tried to do in this one. The uh the cinematographer was Darren Okada. Mm-hmm. I'm probably I may be saying that wrong. So apparently Jamie Lee insisted that they shoot it in two thirty-five to one Panavision widescreen, and he was actually critical of it, saying that that's what they did in the original, but it was a lot of static shots with nothing happening. <laughs> So that's the reason you get sort of the widescreen presentation in H2O that's similar to the original, uh-huh. but there's always shit moving around in the frame because he felt that, that was done wrong in the first one. Oh, bullshit. That to me is one of the best things about the original is because of those wide shots, you're sitting there and you you know it in your mind that Michael can be anywhere at any time. And so you find yourself just constantly on guard and on edge, you know, taking note of everything around so that, you know, you're trying to see if he's there. Yeah. I really like widescreen shots, personally. I like widescreen shots in comedy because there's always some shit happening in the background that you didn't see, right? And so right. you get a big rewatch value from a comedy that's shot in widescreen because you like pick out all the, like the naked gun, there's always crap going on in the background that mm-hmm. you have to watch it again and pick it up. Mm-hmm. I like it in horror movies because I feel like a widescreen shot in a horror movie creates tension. Well, I would say, I would use Midsummer as an example you're because... You're constantly watching for what's happening in the background and it really elevates the, the viewer's stress level. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say about Midsummer? I was just going to say that I would use that as an example where you go through and you watch the movie but then when you go back you're constantly finding these new things in the background like a face in the trees or you know there's all kinds of videos you can watch for stuff that was in the background but I love shit like that like where you can go back and find all these neat things. Right and that's something well I I appreciate the fact that they used the Panavision widescreen in H2O. I don't feel like it was utilized properly.
properly. Because there's always something moving. There's always something in the front. And when you watch it, there is nothing happening in the background. And that's part of the thing that is, is scary for me in a horror movie that uses a widescreen presentation is when you've watched it four or five times or six times or ten times. And that one time you're watching it where you finally see something in the background that you didn't see before. It's like, oh shit, I never noticed the, the face in the trees in Midsummer. You know what I mean? Like it gets you and it keeps you invested in that movie for me. I, don't, I feel like he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. All he's done is TV. I'm just being a dick now. I'm sorry. <laughs> so as far as cast goes, you get Jamie Lee Curtis and I don't feel like I really need to talk about what she's done. <laughs> If you're listening to this podcast, you know for Halloween, she's done True Lies. She's done a ton of stuff. Uh, and this one, she plays Carrie Tate slash Laurie Strode. You've got Adam Arkin, who does Will Brennan. I look for some impressive filmography on him. He's really just on TV. Uh, Michelle Williams plays Molly. She's the Dawson's Creek girl. She will always be the Dawson's Creek girl. <laughs> well, to, me. to be fair, she has gone on to have a prolific career. She she She's a standout because she did go on to do, to have a really great career in independent, independent film and, and very important films from from cinema one of one of my favorites being blue valentine she has but i didn't really include any of her movies because like i said I, I think i've talked too much about some of the movies that people have done when i go through the cast so it's what horror movies of note have these people done and if they haven't done a like an, an impactful horror movie i'll leave it out that's just you know yeah she has done a lot of indie stuff but none of them are really horror movies so i just skipped it adam han bird plays charlie he that's really about it he hasn't done a ton of stuff he did jumanji he's always going to be jumanji kid maybe that's the reason i have a hard time for this movie because you got do Dawson's Creek, Jumanji, and Josh Hartnett. And I just can't get past that. I don't know. I, I did. I did, guys, before we started recording. I was like, please do not sit and rip on Josh Hartnett for an hour and a half because I'm not. my heart can't take it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> But anyway, so Jodie Lynn O'Keefe plays Sarah. Janet Lee returns to the big screen in this movie as Norma. And some of you might know her from a little movie called <laughs> Psycho that was done by Alfred Hitchcock. But she also was in The Fog, directed mm-hmm. by John Carpenter. So, and this was, I think, the third time that she and Jamie Lee had shared the screen. Right. So I think that the third time was actually a, a scene in The Love Boat. But mm-hmm. I don't watch that, so I didn't care. <laughs> Before but our time. Josh Hartnett, this was his first movie. Now, when it comes to horror, he actually does have a couple of movies on there because he did the faculty and even right though it, after. Didn't, it didn't do well in the box office I think it's kind of a, got a cult following now. oh yeah yeah it's he a great movie Sin City which some people are not going to say that that's a horror movie but it does have some horror elements in it particularly around Marv not necessarily around Josh well, Hartman's I was thinking Elijah Wood good god he's a freaky little bastard <laughs> um, he did 30 Days a Night and then if any of you ever watched it he does the Penny Dreadful TV series which is not bad it's not great I've watched a little bit of it it didn't get me hooked but it's not bad L.O. Cool J plays Ronnie that's all I have to say about L.O. Hello, Cool J. <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Jimmy, and Very he's in the brief movie part. for fifteen minutes, maybe. Uh, is it that long? Yeah, I don't. It's the third Rock Kid. That's who he is. <laughs> to me. Brandon Williams plays Tony and I think that's his friend at the beginning of the movie. Nancy Stevens returns as Marion. Yeah. And it's uh, Dr. Loomis's nurse. Yeah. Or his helper. She's his nurse. Well, I mean, she's not. She is a she in the in the first movie, she was a nurse that worked for him. And in this one, was she intended to be his nurse? Yes. She's his caretaker. I she's believe. taking care of him now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway. And then Chris Duran plays Michael. Yeah. So Travis is very harsh on these people. He can go through and be like, okay, well, this kid's always going to be this to me or or whatever. I'm, as much as I love horror, it is obviously my favorite genre. I'm a film lover in general. Like, I love all films. So even if you don't know these people, except for one thing, most of the people, most of the cast, not all of them, but most of the cast have gone on to have very prolific careers. I mean, if you look at Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yes, 
he was in Third Rock. But he also went on to do some very big Christopher Nolan stuff. And he did Inception. Yeah. And he was in with Bruce Willis a couple years ago, right? Looper. So Well, that's been a while, but yeah. A lot of these people, you know, it's that typical thing where they get their start in horror because that's what they're trying to do or TV, but they actually go on to have really great careers, which is another reason I don't understand why people shit on the horror genre because it gave a lot of people their start. I mean, Tom Hanks even for crying out loud. So yeah. Well, I don't think anybody would say that Jamie Lee Curtis is a B-list B list actress. No. And she started in horror. Nobody's going to tell you that Sigourney Weaver is a B-list actress. Actress. And Alien is what she's known for. That may not have been her first movie, but I mean, you've had some really good talent come out of, out of the horror community. and I, Yeah, it gets a bad rap for sure. And I'll tell you somebody that I gave a bad rap was Chris Duran who plays Michael. I was I was shitty about it. I'm just going to be honest. I, I hated it. I hated his Michael in this movie. I really did. Now, I did hate the masks and I will continue to hate the masks because those were not his fault. But I learned during research, apparently at a London Comic Con, there's an interview he did with Bloody Disgusting. He overheard a conversation. He wasn't a part of it, but he overheard it. Some producers talking, saying, we're not going to do what we did before. And this was after he'd been hired to play Michael Myers. So he intentionally didn't watch any of the Halloween movies, thinking that they were going to do something completely different. So he's winging it. He'd never seen a Halloween movie when he filmed this. And I had really given him a hard time about his portrayal of Michael Myers. But knowing that he'd never watched a Halloween movie, he didn't do too bad. Mm. You know what I mean? If you think about he's never seen Nick Castle, it could have been worse. I guess that's it. Yeah, I guess so. so. And he also... Like, Ghostface too. I believe it was in Scream 2. So kind of had quick succession there playing monsters. Chris Durand has done a ton of stunt work on movies. His his filmography for a stuntman is pretty impressive. And then Tom Kane does, I feel like this is a spoiler, but I'm going to say it anyway. You get a voiceover of Donald Pleasance. Of course, he'd already passed away at this point. Right. And people talk a lot of shit about it. I didn't think it was that bad. What'd you think? Um, I would say it's passable. You can tell that it's not him. And from what I understand, he got to like 50 takes before it kind of got got to that point where it sounded sort of like Donald Pleasance. But when I, I mean, I was, like I said, I was 14 or 15 when I went to see this movie and I didn't, I couldn't tell a difference. It's now as an adult that I'm like, oh yeah, obviously. But you know, to the casual moviegoer, I don't know that you would be able to tell that right off the bat. I think the first time I watched this movie, I didn't realize that it wasn't Donald Pleasance. Mm -hmm. But now that I've seen all the other Halloween movies with him in it, now now it stands out to me. It would have been, I mean, I, I realized they couldn't, it was out of their means to be able to get that track from 78. But if they could have, that would have been chill-inducing, so, so I think. So they almost found it, but they couldn't find a clean recording that didn't have music or something in the background. Mm-hmm. That's the reason they couldn't just chop one together. Yeah. Because that was what they were going to do, but there was no clean audio for them to just pull straight audio out of it without it sounding fucked up when they put it in this film. If they could have, though, that would have just been fucking icing on the cake. That would have been pretty great. Yeah. I, I would have loved that, actually. I mean, people... And this is not to discredit Jamie Lee Curtis in any way, because obviously she's like the epitome of the final girl. But to me, in my own personal opinion, this series has never been about her, ever. For me, this series has always been Donald Pleasance and The Shape. That's, to me, that is the true beating heart of that franchise. I could agree with that, because until the most recent iterations of Halloween, they really lost something in the movies after uh, Donald Pleasance passed away and no longer was in character. I feel like even four, five, and six, Donald Pleasance's performance 
performance is kind of what kind of helped hold that together a little bit, mm-hmm. even though the movies were not good. The fact that it was him and Michael kind of going head to head, I mean, not like just fighting it out, but there's that struggle between sort of uh, the immovable object and the unstoppable force or whatever. That was kind of the glue that mm-hmm. held those together. So I, I, I can see that. His presence is, was really, really missed in this film for me. And, I, and you know, I know that can't be helped, but it did, yeah, it just felt like there was a hole in it, that, you know, a void that he left. Well, this was the first one we'd seen without him. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was different. But, you know, it would have been even worse is if they'd used the working title for this. The working title for this movie was The Revenge of Laurie Strode. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, thanks. It's pretty bad. <laughs> the title we got is bad enough. <laughs> like when you, do, you start doing your research on this, there were a lot of really shitty ideas that got thrown around for this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. But we should probably get into that after the spoiler warning. You've been talking too much. Oh, ha ha. Get me back. Why don't you? <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> All right. You ready to jump into it? I am. All right. I can't take those greasy, shithead teenagers anymore! And now it's time for your obligatory spoiler warning. We don't just spoil movies here, they are spoiled rotten, so listen at your own risk or turn back now. We start this, and you guys should know probably that this was the first time we retconned 4, 5, and 6. We would go on to do that, of course, later with our new trilogy. But it's the third time they've started over, right? I, or is it the second time they've started? They've, they've ignored the ending from a previous movie. I don't think so. I think this was the very first time shit got retconned. Okay. Because, you know, you had three that it was, was its own thing, and then you had four, five, and six, and then by the time they got to seven, they were just like, yeah, we're okay. going to take that out and pretend it never happened. I guess I'm thinking about part four. Four, where they tried to try to act like part two didn't happen. Yeah. Right. And then in part five, they yeah, changed the it, ending to part four. I, maybe that's what I'm it thinking. It just wasn't, it wasn't official. Like we're going to pretend this stuff doesn't right, exist. Right. So it, it's, it starts well enough, you know, we kind of, we open on the sound of a knife coming down and it's into a pumpkin and this beginning atmosphere is, is actually really great. You do get that feel that Halloween. There's kids running around and uh, nice, nice colors and looks cold outside. I really like this. I, I like it. And you know, since we watched the first one again, looking at it, I've been really critical about them not setting the scene in some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. And in the first one, everything's fucking green. <laughs> There's just some dead leaves and everybody's wearing a jacket. It still feels better than the, the Thorn trilogy. But this one, I feel like they really nailed it. Well, in the beginning, if they had kept that throughout the film, that would have been better. But Right. But I feel like in this one, they really nail the fall Halloween feel at yeah. the beginning of this movie. Probably better than any of the ones that came before almost. I don't I don't agree with that. I would say part four, at the, the beginning of their credits, probably nailed that the best, they, ultimately. They did good, but I think I like this one better. Yeah. And then, of course, we get Mr. Sandman playing. It's in that, you know, that gives that vibe of, okay, yeah, we're, we're tying this together. So, so when did this throwback. become... Because Mr. Sandman is almost as synonymous with Halloween as John Carpenter's theme. Like, if I hear that song somewhere, this Halloween is the first thing I think about. When did that happen? Part two. Part two? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, and then we find out that we're in Langdon, Illinois this time instead of uh, Haddonfield. And this is supposedly where Dr. Loomis has lived. And we see his nurse show up. It's uh, Marion Chambers from parts one and two. And now, like we said before, she's acting as a caretaker this time. And upon arriving to her house, we see that it looks like it's been broken into. Or at least the front porch light has been shattered. And yeah, Did you see Butterball sitting in the porch swing? I did. For, as, I guess it's because it's a dimension films movie mm-hmm. so i thought that was really cool that they put that in there yeah there's a there's a few beats like that throughout this movie and we'll we'll talk about them as we find them but um but yeah it looks like her house has been locked into and so 
she does the smart thing. Like almost nobody does this, but she's like, fuck this. <laughs> she's not going in. She goes next door instead to a couple of guys, teenagers, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Jimmy. And I uh, forget the other guy's and some name. other guy. Yeah. Tony. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I know him from 90s stuff like Aer- Aerosmith music videos and Can't Hardly Wait. And- you know what it shows these guys? You know, the first thing I thought about was idle hands. I don't know why. Like you go, like they're sitting on the couch and I, that's, I don't know. I don't know why that came to my mind. But see those two slackers just hanging out. Maybe yeah. think about idle hands. <laughs> but she goes to them and tells them, you know, that her house has been broken into. And so they, they call the police and they're going to be there in 15 minutes or whatever. But in the meantime, Jimmy feels like he needs to go check this shit out. And she tries telling him not to. And they're sitting there busting her balls about smoking. And it's a, it's a whole thing. Because that's just a thing her character did in the first couple like, of parts. Like, how did she get that old chain smoking <laughs> the way she does? She was lighting them off the butts in the first movie. Right. But Jimmy decides he's going to be big man. He's going to go over there and check it out and see what's going on. And same thing. He gets over there, sees the broken glass, and is like, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> like, Yeah, he's he, not so tough anymore. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy's like, oh, I'm just going to stay here and watch her or <laughs> whatever. So like, okay. But he goes in, he starts investigating, and the first thing he notices is that her office is pretty well trashed. Um, to what extent, we don't know yet. We just know that the room is pretty trashed. And then he goes to the kitchen for some reason and he starts doing the dick thing and he's like eating her food. He steals a couple of beers. And this is where we get our first jump scare of what, 75? <laughs> yeah, it's it's another magical automatic opening door. And why did he bite? He took a bite out of one cookie <laughs> and then threw it back on the plate. Like I'm, uh, I actually have the nickname from my mother-in-law's cookie monster because if there's cookies around, they're mine. So I know. I'm I, not just taking a bite off one. <laughs> I'm supposed to be worried about this guy getting crazy with the stick. <laughs> and he's over there taking one bite out of a cookie and putting it back on the plate. Like, you, you're just gross guy. Okay, so just funny. Just the fucking cookie. Funnily enough, the first time I watched that movie and he's like crazy with the stick and he makes the stick down. He, like the first time I was actually like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> what are you about to do? But <laughs> watching it as an adult, I flash back to uh, Daniel Harris's character in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 where she tells the cop, she's like, what the fuck are you going to do, Jackal? <laughs> That's where I was at in this one. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So. Like, sit down, Third Rock. You got nothing. <laughs> but we get, like I said, we get our first jump scare where the door in the kitchen creaks open and it turns out it's an ironing board. And then he starts swinging a stick around and he busts up her kitchen a little bit. But he shortly comes out and he tells her the house is clean. Nobody's in there. But that her her office has been wrecked. Oh, and they did a number on your kitchen too. Bye. <laughs> so how long was he in there? Because it was daylight when he went in. He could have been in there more than 10 minutes. And it's fucking dark when he comes out. Right. It I mean, I would say sense. it was daylight, daylight. It was definitely dusk. It was, but it's full dark when yeah. he comes back out of the but house. But they did the same thing in the original Halloween where Annie and Lori were <laughs> driving to get from point A to point B. And all of a sudden it goes from broad ass daylight to like That's pitch fair. black. <laughs> so, That's fair. Um, but you know what? That could have something to do because the, the shooting timetable for these movies has never been long. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... 
in all the interviews and stuff and the documentaries we've watched, they shoot for as long as they possibly can. So that right. maybe explained it, you know, yeah. that they're just like, fuck it, we got to go for it. Mm-hmm. So anyway. But Marianne goes back into her office and we do notice she has no power. Her, her lights don't work. She even tries the breaker box. That doesn't work. But she does go into her office to go survey the damage. And we notice that Lori Strode's file is completely empty. I don't think that was her office. I think that must have been Loomis's office because I don't know why she would keep a file on Lori Strode. You know, and it's got the whole thing on the wall with the different stuff. So I think it was Loomis's office. Probably. Um, and we do see a photo of an old, you know, stock photo of him in the, in the office too, which, you know, like I said, again, it, it makes you feel like, God, I wish he was here. It just made me sad. A little bit sad. Yeah, exactly. But um, we start seeing as she's going through and checking her house and all that, that Michael has, or the shape, has made his way in. And you see him in back starting to creep behind her and everything. And eventually he does show up. And I got to give it to her because she actually fought back pretty valiantly, I thought. She has probably the best reaction uh, out of the series so far, other than Jamie Lee Curtis's character, other than, than Laurie Strode, too. I'm not going to go in my house because there's broken glass. Fighting back like a beast, you know, mm-hmm. for as much as she can. Cause now, she does... She's like an 80-year-old chain smoker, but... <laughs> now, she does she... decide to do that again. She does leave her house, like, fuck this, and she does run back next right. door to go get the guys again, but we see that Jimmy and his friend are dead. Jimmy's got, like, a an ice skating shoe, what do you call those? It's a skate. <laughs> a skate. <laughs> an ice skate, like, pounded into his face, basically. So, they're obviously not going to be a help and like I said she does end up fighting Michael and about this time the cops are finally starting to show up but they're just kind of looking through her house because she I think she's still in Jimmy's house yeah but I don't know when Michael shows up she's She's banging on the I don't know how they didn't hear her. How mm-hmm. did they not hear her? Well, again, since we're borrowing from screen, it was kind of the same thing with Casey's death as the parents are right there. And of course, in her case, she couldn't cry out because she had been choked. So her voice was gone or whatever. Right. But it's kind of the same thing where she's trying to yell for the cops, but they're just not quite hearing her, you know, so close and yet so far. And Michael ends up cutting her throat. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't like cops in these movies. I feel like uh, Sheriff Meeker was was probably the most competent police officer we had in this whole series, and I feel like he was underutilized. Most Star was amazing. Yes, yes. Um, as a general rule, cops in these movies suck. Well, I did, <laughs> I did, you know, and I'm going to catch some heat for this, but I did enjoy Brad Dorf's turn as Bracket in the Rob Zombie films. I thought he did, like I said, I think he did better as Bracket than Charles Cyphers did in the original. Well, you know, that I, I talked about it, I think, in, in part five about, you know, a, an actor's performance. They have to put that emotion on the viewer. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very few times does it happen in the Halloween series. And I honestly think that Brad Dorff's performance, when he finds his daughter dead, he puts that emotion on the audience. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm with you on I've that one. I've heard people make fun of that, and I, I've never understood why. Is They're it like, people that don't have kids? They think that he overacted in that scene. And to no. me, that was like one of the most heartbreaking scenes outside of Michael's mom's death, her suicide in the original. His yeah. his reaction to that was very fucking sad. Yeah. But to talk about acting ability, I feel like the, uh, what'd you say her name was? Marion? Mm-hmm. I don't think she gets enough credit in this movie. Like this first sequence here with her, she does a great job. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it until we watched it again. Like she does a really good job here. Mm-hmm. Like she could have been a octogenarian final girl <laughs> or something. 
<laughs> yeah, she did a good job. I appreciated job. her performance a lot better this time around. Right. So the next day, well, oh, okay, not quite the next day yet, but we see as the cops start investigating her house that Michael drives off. He's got this old beat up muscle car and he's obviously driving off to somewhere, but you know, we know it's because he found Lori's file and he has an idea of where she's at now. Yeah. So two things really, like I know they touched on it and everybody, nobody liked it in the Thorn series, like the whole psychic thing, but how did Michael find them? Cause they're not in Haddonfield, they're in Langdon. Mm-hmm. So has he been stalking them the whole time? I mean, I know there's a comic book series that kind of explores, uh, I think it's Halloween Sam that talks about what Michael was doing for those last 20 years and what Sam Loomis was doing for the, or for the whole 20 years, but he tip, he can find them. Like he's got radar for these people. Like they've been low jacked and that's weird. <laughs> I do appreciate his penchant for picking old muscle cars though. <laughs> I like it that if there's an old car around, Michael's going to drive it. Cause I like old cars. Yeah. I wonder our mom was the same. <laughs> but uh, the next day we do see two detectives going and investigating Loomis's home. And it's kind of an older detective and a younger detective. And he does, they start talking about the lore and the younger detective is obviously. So Charles S. Dutton was originally cast for this and then they opted out. He was just listed as detective. So I wonder if he's not supposed to play the detective that has the primary speaking part in here. Maybe. Which would have been interesting. Maybe. But um, the other cop, he's like, whatever, it's not true, whatever. He's just kind of blowing it off. Yeah, right. Um, And the other cop's like, look, I was 16 years old when he killed his sister. So the guy's younger than I am. Who's to say that he's not responsible for this? But then we cut to our you know, that's our cold opening. So now we're cutting to our official credits. And yeah, I actually kind of like this theme. I remember, yeah, going going to see it and it hitting me pretty hard. Like, like oh my God, this is like more uh, bombastic and more, you know. I really like the operatic approach. Hits you in the gut. To the, to the theme song. Yeah. I just, I wish they would have continued that throughout the movie. Maybe not with Ottman's original score, but you know how in other Halloween movies they've done like a variation of the original throughout. Yeah. This was, this was pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, I like it. Honestly, I like the one in Halloween Kills and stuff a whole lot better and, and the 2018 Halloween, but this one was pretty damn good. Yeah. Well, that's because in our newer films course, we have uh, John and Cody Carpenter and John Carpenter's godson doing that, and they just did a tremendous job. I think it's so kick-ass that John Carpenter's son does this, too. Yeah. I think it's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with the credits. I, I think the, the credit score is pretty good, but we're basically just going around Loomis's office, and it's showing all newspaper clippings and basically that he never stopped his obsession in those 20 years, which we know that. I mean, provided four, five, and six, like we said, are not canon, but we still see that, yeah, he very much made, had this, the center of his life in those 20 years. Well, I've got some information that we'll get to later about that whole four, five, and six business and and whether or not they're part of canon, but now it's not the time. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You'll give me dirty looks if I do it right now. But yeah, we we touched on Tom Kane doing the voiceover of Loomis, and like I said, it it was it was passable, it was serviceable, and then we get into our proper opening, I guess. Well, I mean, maybe not. It's I wouldn't say still it's a proper opening, but we basically get Laurie Strode having a nightmare. She's a headmistress of a private school now, and in her nightmare, we get we're getting these shots of the school, you know, and then we see the name Laurie Strode on a blackboard and a knife in the picture of her son and she wakes up now our proper opening and she wakes up screaming covered in sweat and obviously she's very still traumatized by this and 
her son, played by Josh Hartnett, otherwise known as John, he comes in to check on her and, you know, she's she's having a hard time. And she's obviously taking medication for these nightmares because... She's taking a lot of medication. <laughs> yeah. That pill, that uh, medicine cabinet was loaded. Yeah. But um, he asks her if he, she needs something and she says, yeah. So he goes to find her some pills and stuff. And obviously this is something that occurs a lot because he seems very frustrated or just exasperated with the well, situation. He knows exactly where to go. He's looking for specific drugs. Yeah. This is old hat for him. Yeah. So then a few minutes later, they're having breakfast and we see that now we're in Summer Glen, California. And they're having this conversation over breakfast about this field trip that's coming up for the school. Uh, the school's going to Yosemite and he really wants to go. You know, he, he's at that age where he wants some ind- independence. And I would imagine being in a boarding school all fucking years, probably really. I, I couldn't do it. Well, I have some opinions on that. Yeah. But so this was a real place though this this boarding school they're at it wasn't necessarily a boarding school but it was actually the uh, Canfield Moreno estate that was the original name for it. it was built for a silent movie star way back in the day but this was a real place and I appreciated that that they filmed it in a real place not a it wasn't on a soundstage or something but and originally when I watched this movie I was pretty critical about like it doesn't look like fall but I could kind of get the feeling it's in Northern California but it's not you know because it's kind of up in the mountains it's actually about four miles outside of Los Angeles wow which is the reason it looks the way it does and that made me feel better <laughs> but like I said, he wa- he really wants to go on this trip. She doesn't want him to go on this trip. Obviously, she's very overprotective of him. I go back and forth on whether or not that was warranted just because, yes, you can understand her being overprotective to a certain degree because of what happened to her. But at the same time, you're like, it's been 20 years. Yeah, would you still be that way 20 years later? Yeah. So, and that's basically the argument about this is that John's like, today's the day you're going to realize that I'm grown up and I can take care of myself and they they go at it for a while trading jabs and stuff but at the end of the day he's just like whatever and he goes off to school I feel like the, the parent-child relationship felt pretty good in this movie. Oh, yeah. Between the two of them. I mean, obviously, I can't relate to this situation, but, you know, the parent feels that this is what's best for the kid, and me being the parent, and the kid not liking it, and maybe not understanding why you want it that way. I, it felt good. I've given Josh Hartnett a lot of shit, and I think it might be jealousy. He's tall. He's a good-looking dude. <laughs> he's rich. Maybe that, maybe that's it. I've given him a lot of shit, but I'll be honest, after we watch this movie, and I actually watched this movie instead of doing something else... And only half-ass watching this movie. I feel like the interactions between him and Jamie Lee Curtis were pretty good. Maybe. And for his first movie, I, kn- I know a lot of people say that his acting was shit in this movie. I don't agree with that. We had that one-two punch of this movie in The Faculty, and I remember just really, like, he was a standout for me. I was like, okay, this guy's gonna do something. Yeah, and you, you, were, you were saying earlier about horror movies and how many good actors have gotten their start in horror movies, and that's 100% true. It feels like horror movies, though, they're a hardcore litmus test for an actor. You either go on and you're great. You do something. You're Sigourney Weaver. You're Jamie Lee Curtis. You're fuck even Josh Hartnett. Or that's the only movie you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, you're either you either make it or you don't. It's a make or break situation. Yeah. You can tell immediately when someone has a certain something. And clearly, you know, he and Michelle Williams made it. So. Yeah. But once we get to school, we get this the scene where we start kind of meeting our core cast of characters, and we meet his friends. We meet his girlfriend. We meet the Jumanji kid. <laughs> Yeah. And basically we're hearing that Sarah, played by Jodie Lynn O'Keefe, she's not wanting to go on this trip at all. She's she's just saying it's really it's really lame. And for me, no. Going to Yosemite, I want to go. I want to go. Like, I want to go. <laughs> so in hindsight, it makes me wonder, like, John, 
well, uh, Josh Hartnett's character, John, he really wants to go. Does he really want to go because he really wants to go to Yosemite? Does he really want to go because he wants to go to Yosemite and bang his girlfriend? Or is he just trying to get away from his mother and that's the reason he wants to go? I would because say he's probably the latter too. he's never been allowed to go do anything. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily to bang his girlfriend, but obviously to have, to spend some time with her th- away think, from a school setting. I think it's, he wants to get away from, from Jamie Lee. Probably. But, probably. And this is where you get the, when they're, this whole thing, this is where you get the psycho reference, right? No. No, I mean, uh, is it not? Is no. Not yet? Jumanji Kid makes one really early in the movie, and I think this is it. Oh, well, I think he calls his mom a psycho or something. Yeah, he was like, you're going to end up old with your mom running a motel in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, okay, like, I was thinking of the first, like the major I just, psycho reference. Since you've been making me watch horror movies, like when he said that, I was like, ha I know what he's talking about. Ha ha, I'm a cool kid now. You went all Captain America? Yeah. I, I understood that reference. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But we're also seeing that John's girlfriend is suddenly not able to go on this trip because her dad hasn't been paying her tuition. So they kind of start conspiring that maybe they're just all going to stay behind and have a party amongst themselves. So on HalloweenMovies.com, they actually found, or they zoomed in, some fan person zoomed in on like the note, uh, the, the the release note for going on the trip. Mm-hmm. And it was $1,200 to go on this trip. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's it, a bit much. <laughs> It's a lot. Yeah. So it, it, I don't know. She says tuition, but 1200 bucks to cover transportation and water That's for this ridiculous. trip. That's ridiculous. And it was supposed to, it was, it was also a waiver on the note uh-huh. uh, about uh, not being res- the school not being responsible for the kids getting eaten by grizzly bears, carried off by bald eagles, attacked by wolves, <laughs> or murdered by knife-wielding serial killers. So the prop guys had fun with this. Yeah, sounds like it. It was pretty interesting. <laughs> and while this conversation is, is happening, we see that Lori is in her office and she's looking out she's talking on the phone she's looking out the window to just kind of see what they're what he's up to and we see that in the window she's seeing Michael's reflection in the glass and <laughs> this is gonna bring up kind of a funny anecdote here much probably to my embarrassment here but um uh, she does this thing where if she sees him she closes her eyes until he goes away so <laughs> Funny story here. <laughs> when this movie kind of came out, I've got uh, I've got a younger sister and two younger brothers, and my brothers <laughs> they were a little bit of a dick to me. So me being the oldest, I'm the youngest of four or oldest of four. I was always the one in charge. So if my parents were gone at work, drinking whatever they were doing at the time, um, I was responsible for these three other kids. So of course I had to be the hard ass. Like okay, this needs to get done. This needs to get done. And my brothers, of course, would roll their eyes and they'd fight back or whatever. But they started doing this thing where if I started like heading towards them or talking to them, they would start closing their eyes real tight and opening back up. And then if I was still there, they'd close them again. So dickheads. I'm going to start doing that to you. I'm going to teach the kids to do that to you too. But I cannot watch those scenes without thinking about that. Aren't kids the worst? But um, now we cut to, we see Highway 139 in Northern California, and there's a mother and her daughter, and they need to make a pit stop. And we see that Michael's busted-ass car is sitting there at this rest stop, but they decide they're going to go anyway. The little girl's got to go real bad. So they go, and they can't get into the women's restroom, so they decide to go to the men's restroom. The door won't stay open, or there's no lights on in the bathroom, right? So she props open the door with a rock, and they go in, and of course, we don't see Michael. He's 
he's nowhere around. So they just assume it's just an abandoned car. They go in to take care, <laughs> take care of business. And well, there's a panning shot there that shows the car that he stole with a blown out tire. So we know that he's in the vicinity, maybe. But they they go in and this the scene it actually it I feel like it's pretty tense and they handled it really well reimagining it for 2018. But it is a, a tense scene where the door does slam shut and the mother sees Michael out of the crack of her stall door sees Michael walking by and is obviously very scared for her herself and her child but all he does is end up stealing her purse which he doesn't even take the purse he just gets her keys out of her purse steals her car so her reaction of terror when she sees him through the crack it made it made me wonder when we watched the movie was she scared because she saw the mask and she knew who it was or just scared because there's some weird dude wearing a mask in the bathroom I think that's it's probably the latter yeah I like to think though that she recognized him for who he was that makes me feel better I like that I like that answer better so that's what I'm gonna go with But he, he steals her car and he drives off. And then we go back to the school and they're having an assembly about the trip, basically giving out all the rules and what's expected and all this stuff. And we cut to our four teens who obviously are not going on this trip now. They've all made the plans, did, didn't turn in homework and are sick, you know, various excuses why they can't go on this trip. And they're basically running through their plans for the evening. And I found the character of Charlie to be kind of annoying and over the top because Yes, we do know, we do understand that as teenage boys, I'm not going to say all, but most teenage boys only have one thing on their mind. But Charlie just takes it to where it's like, this is his only personality trait. And it's like... Could they not have fleshed that character out just a little better? So originally they had written him as a copycat killer. Right. That was the plan, is that he was going to be the, the main antagonist, which is would be really weird because he's about six inches shorter than Josh Hartnett. <laughs> so, I mean, if you get some kind of like mini Michael copycat killer running around, I just don't know how that would work. It seems like Josh Hartnett would just like bop him on the head and he'd fall down. <laughs> but when they rewrote him, they rewrote him literally as the horny boyfriend. Yeah. Like that's, that's how they rewrote him. That's what they told him when they were like, Hey, we were originally going this direction and we're changing it. And apparently he embraced that role. Yeah. Like it's, it's not the first time there's been a a horny boyfriend in these movies. Like one of my most detested characters is a character named Rick in Friday the 13th part three, because it's literally all he's fucking talking about. It's like, come on. Okay. So I'm glad you finally brought that up before I did. I was going to say, this is a Friday the 13th character in a Halloween movie. (laughs) Right. So usually you get the three second guys in Halloween. It's like they're going to have some sex. So in my notes, I have him listed as uh, annoying boner kid. Yeah. But usually (laughs) the boyfriends are very minor role. They're worth two and a half seconds of sex and then they're done and they leave or try to. (laughs) After this is over, we see Lori and a coworker named Will played by Adam Arkin. Basically talking shop, keeping appearances. (laughs) Travis is looking at me. Well, I always think Alan Arkin, but that's the, that's MASH. Yeah. Anyway. I won't, I won't sing. I always get the name wrong. I won't sing the theme song because <laughs> I'll do it like Stewie and Family Which, Guy. He's another one. I've seen him in a ton of stuff and I wanted to really give him a good filmography, but it's always TV. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember what TV. I was like, when he in ER or something or some medical drama or some shit? The dude's got a huge list of credits on IMDb. It's yeah. just nothing I've ever watched. Yeah. But um, once they get into, I keep, I'm just going to say Lori, guys, because we know it's Lori. We, we understand she's going by Carrie, but I'm going to go, I'm just going to say Lori. So good to Lori's office and we see that they're obviously having a relationship they make with secret smoochies and right before the character of Norma played by Jamie Lee Curtis's mother Janet Lee she's kind of you know running down notes and telling her about her day and all 
that, and she's just kind of blowing her off. <laughs> she full-on shuts the door in her face. <laughs> yeah. Rude as hell. Yeah. And they start making out, and um, then they make plans to have lunch that day, basically. But um, then we cut to Ronnie, played by L.O. Cool J, and I know that it was a trend kind of starting in the late 90s to cast rappers in roles. I understand the reasoning behind it, even if I don't agree with why they were cast, but it was popular to do that nonetheless. I don't necessarily disagree with Cool J being in this movie. I like him. He's been in other movies that I thought were funny. I think he was in one with, was it Queen Latifah? Yeah, I think so. That was funny? That's not what came to my mind. Deep Blue Sea came to mind first. Okay. (laughs) So I don't necessarily dislike him, but I feel like they just really gave him a shitty role in this movie. Yeah. Well, I think it was his first, and I know that it was important for him to branch out and I mean, because I've seen interviews where he said that this was what he wanted to do and it was important to him and stuff. And I'm good with that because I don't know. It's, I like him. He's, you know, but this was not a good role for him. (laughs) Or it wasn't a well-written role. Well, it was kind of like Busta Rhymes. We all know how horrible that shit was in Resurrection. Yeah, but I didn't feel that way about Busta Rhymes. I don't really care about (laughs) Busta Rhymes. But the only thing I remember him being in apart from that was Higher Learning and it was another really small role. But, you know, Ice Cube obviously took center stage in that film other than um well that's because ice cube's badass yes he is <laughs> i completely agree but um we get to ronnie and he's sitting and reading what sounds like a trashy <laughs> romance novel over the phone <laughs> to his wife and rightfully so she is straight busting his balls over this because some of <laughs> some of the dialogue is fucking ridiculous he is like a, he's a combo <laughs> meal from McDonald's, okay? He is both the absolute worst sex novel author and the worst security guard ever put yes. on film. It's funny though. Like I get I get uh, actually get a giggle out of listening to him read his book to her. And I get an even bigger giggle at her going, What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> It wouldn't be so bad except for his uh, descriptive words leave something to be desired. It's fruit porn. <laughs> it's fruit it's porn. It's like if VeggieTales did pornography, that's what it would be. <laughs> it's all about melons and cantaloupes. And... <laughs> I don't know. Everything's juicy. <laughs> we... Like, I just don't. <laughs> we kind of have a running joke about it. Like, am I in melon territory? I don't know if I'm melon territory. I would maybe large grapefruit. To... It's, it's like a running gag that we have when we hear that. Like, maybe large oranges. I don't... Does anybody have melon breasts? (laughs) If they do, they have back pain. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe Elvira. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But we get our second jump scare where John has snuck up on Ronnie. And he's like, fuck me, shit! Which is basically how I react every time I get scared. (laughs) I really like it that you counted the jump scares in this movie. I did. Because that was a thing, right? In the (laughs) 90s, it was all, they were all about the jump scare. Right. But John's wanting Ronnie to let him and Charlie outside for off-campus lunch or whatever. And he's, he obviously is, this sounds like something that's occurred before. And he doesn't want to lose his job. So he's obviously reluctant to let them go but and his wife hears the conversation yeah. <laughs> which is don't get your ass fired that's me yeah <laughs> but he does reluctantly let them go but not before telling him comb your hair <laughs> yeah so that's like a whole thing through this movie and i just i'll be honest with you i had a real problem with josh hartnett's hair it's like 
and I had a more a bigger problem with it in the faculty. I'm like, so did you get a fucking haircut right before uh, Halloween H2O and then you just didn't get another one? So the, the whole thing behind that, because I read it and I know you watched it, was that he didn't want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Acting all bougie and shit. Like, he didn't want to lose himself in becoming an actor. Mm-hmm. So apparently he had like this knit beanie that he would stick on between takes and he would take it off right before he would go do a take. And apparently it annoyed the shit out of Jamie Lee Curtis, but she respected why he was doing it, so she let it go. Yeah. But that explains why his hair's fucked up in every scene of well, this movie. And he brought up a really excellent point. He said, you know, around this time you had a bunch of pretty boys in these movies that were perfectly coiffed and were obviously there to be the eye candy. And he was like, fuck all that. But I'm also, I keep thinking of Mike and Jay and we watched a movie talking about how it looked like two birds fucked on the back of his head. <laughs> or two ducks fucked on the back of his head. And I can't let that go. It's, it, yeah, no, I'm not going to be able to let it go. Thanks for pointing that out. Now I'm just going to be thinking about bird sex on his head. Duck sex. Well, they're birds. Um, yeah. But see, that's one of those things that like makes me... I respect that. I do. Because a lot of those kid actors that came up in the horror movies of the 90s, they turned into little assholes. And Well, I was just thinking, okay, I'll give you, for instance, like, um, oh, what's his face from um, One Tree Hill? Ah, Chad Michael Murray. You know, he and like every other guy, they had like those perfect salon haircuts where you could tell they were trying to do a trendy haircut. And I actually thought maybe that's what Josh Hartnett was doing. was like, oh, was this a new haircut they were trying to try out? You know, no, he, he had hat hair. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. I do. Yeah. So. It makes me respect it and not like him a little more for being kind of cool about it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. But um, we get Lori then. She's meeting Will for her lunch date and she's, I guess she's a little early because she's kind of strolling down the street looking through shop windows and we get scare number three where she gets scared by some kids in costumes and she goes, you know, like we do, we go look in a shop window like, ooh, I wonder if they have those in my size, you know. She's checking it out and then she gets scared again by Will <laughs> because I guess she thinks she sees Michael and then it turns out that it's Will and um, they go to lunch and she's sitting there upset obviously like she's got a lot on her mind it's a bad day and she asks him do you think it's possible for someone to recover from something so tragic they they can never recover from it and he says no that he he thinks recovery is always possible and then she tells him look there's something about myself that I haven't been upfront with you about. And he's like, yeah, I've kind of gotten that for me. And she tells him that she's tried everything over the course of 20 years. And originally, because we see that she's, she's a functioning alcoholic in this movie. She's drinking every chance she gets. But originally what she had wanted was not only was she going to be an alcoholic, she was also going to be a drug addict. Now she is popping pills, obviously, in this movie. But I, but she said specifically she had wanted to be a dope fiend. So I think that might have been, that, that might have been better. You know, might have added more pathos to her character. Yeah, and in this this specific dialogue exchange, it makes you wonder, like, how much of the script changed while they were filming. Yeah. Because that may have been what she was alluding to in this scene. Mm -hmm. At least a little bit. Yeah. And then they never included it. Yeah, because, you know, she says that she's she's done 12 steps. She's done group therapy. She's seen shrinks. But Will says, well, you haven't tried everything because I'm a really good listener. Which, I'm going to disagree with that later on. But to me, I'm like, okay, but isn't that what a shrink is? Didn't they... they paid to just sit there and listen to you but well he's a counselor <laughs> yeah well he also said i'm a counselor i'm attracted to bullshit so but how good a counselor is this guy <laughs> but 
she tries to tell him she has this like kind of smoke screen thing up where she's just worried about John. She's losing her relationship with him. And but I think he kind of sees that that's kind of bullshit and there's obviously something else. And then this is where we see because he has to excuse himself to the restroom that she is just chugging Chardonnay after Chard- Chardonnay and take- she pounds it like Zane Lamprey. <laughs> Nobody knows who that is, dear. <laughs> uh, it's on YouTube. It's called Three Sheets. You should watch it. It's hilarious. <laughs> but um, yeah, I felt bad for the waiter because he comes up and she's like, "Can I have another Chardonnay?" And he's like, "But you haven't even finished this one." And she's like, "Today." <laughs> she's like, "Like now?" <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, yeah, okay, Karen, Karen, calm down." <laughs> she goes Karen on him for a minute. <laughs> but um, we get jump scare number five at that point because there's a couple of kids in costumes that bang, you know, against the window that she's sitting next to. And yeah, she's sucking back that wine like it's she going just out of style. It. <laughs> and we see, meanwhile, that um, John and Charlie have stolen, well, at least Charlie has stolen a bottle of wine for the night's events. And um, they run into Lori. And. <laughs> This part always cracks me up because this is one of those scenes that you have to be watching the background because Lori, you know, rightfully so, is pissed that these boys left school grounds. And she she sends Charlie to the car and she's like, what the fuck? The, the part that gets me the most about this is when he yells at her, I'm not responsible for you. <laughs> At the same time, those two people are walking by. They're like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> yeah. They're all like, I'm just, <laughs> just going like, to walk this oh, way. Oh, <laughs> man. We need to stay away from those people. Yeah. They're crazy. We tend to be waspy in this family, and we don't fight in public. Well, I mean, we don't really fight in general, but if we're going to, it's not going to be in public because You, you don't we have don't... a knockdown drag out on the sidewalk. <laughs> we don't want people doing that same thing to us. Like, oh my God, what's yeah. the problem? <laughs> But now, having said that, I do appreciate this exchange. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was a good exchange. I'm gaining new respect for the Halloween movies. You should be happy. <laughs> I feel like this exchange between a mother that has problems and a son who has been her caretaker for all intents and purposes. And he's very sheltered. Like he's, she smothered is, him. but it's her fault. Yes. And that I'm not responsible for you. I get it. Yeah. that That's that a was, hard thing to put on well, a kid. I mean, it happened when I was a kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to share. Are you ready for me to share? Uh-oh. Little brother broke something while mom and dad were out. And I was watching him and I was older because I'm four years older. And I, we kind of had a similar exchange. My mom asked me, why aren't you watching him? And I said, because I'm not his parent. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah, I've already brought that up once. I was responsible for three kids. And so... She slapped the shit out of me for that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Because if my parents were gone doing whatever and something happened, it was automatically my fault because I should well, have been you're watching the them. Oldest. Yeah. I'm the oldest. So I think that probably both of us can relate to that, that it's not my responsibility to be the parent here. Yes. And basically, well, not basically, but in a sense, he has had to be kind of her parent. Yeah. So I get it. I did not give that enough credit the first time I watched this movie. I'll be honest. Like when we watched it and took notes and I really was paying attention, he did a better job than I ever gave him credit for. Good, good. Glad so. you're changing your mind. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not going to excuse Pearl Harbor, but I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> in this movie, it's his first movie. He guy did a pretty damn good job. Well, I'm between I, the faculty because I loved his character in that movie. I thought he was badass. Or 30 Days of Night. I thought that was a really good, understated performance of his. Okay. I feel like he did better with a Kevin Williamson dialogue in this movie than he did with the Kevin Williamson dialogue in The Faculty. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the deal. In the 90s, they had him write a ton of movies. 
or do rewrites on a ton of movies and they all fucking sounded the same. Yeah. That's just, that's kind of, I, I don't know. I, again, I'm not a fan of the Kevin Williamson writing style. Right. I'm just saying they had more for his character to do in the faculty. I totally agree with that. But I feel like he did a better job in this movie than he did in the faculty. I don't. Maybe just, it's because it's more dramatic. We're going to have to agree to disagree. <laughs> he, he got to fall back on what Elijah Wood in the faculty. And this one, he had to stand on his own. <laughs> but, you know, she's basically just telling him of all days of the year for you to pull this shit. I just need you to give me today. And he's like, why? Like, he's dead. What's he waiting for after 20 years? You said yourself, you watched him burn. He's dead. And of course, this line delivery does crack me up. Michael Myers is dead. So it does crack me up a little bit. But still, he he's not wrong. You know, gives all Jennifer Love Hugh. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting well, for, for? I mean, for all intents and purposes. <laughs> we have no reason to believe that we as the audience do because we know right but from his standpoint he has no reason to believe anything else yeah other than that michael is dead yeah so we get her driving back to school and as soon as she turns on the radio mr sandman is on and i always kind of get a giggle at this because you you yourself asked me last night you're like why would she even know that that's associated with the movie and i said i don't think she does i think the reason she smiles is because it's a wink to us because we know. Yeah, that makes sense. So I just did a funny thing to her daughter because we have to periodically take breaks throughout recording. So <laughs> she's been working on cleaning her room all afternoon and she came to me and she's like, mom, come see what I did in my room. And I'm like, London, I'm not responsible for you. <laughs> So we don't do it on here as much as I would like, but we definitely live in a house that's full of nonstop references. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> I can't even count how many times I've run around the house yelling, help me, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> All right, let's get back to it. It's time to pump up the jam. Pump it up. But anyway, we see Molly uh, washing dishes. I'm guessing that's how she pays for her tuition is doing work around campus. Either that or they assign them chores, which seems weird, but... So this, something weird about this school is that how much administrative staff have you seen? We've seen Lori. We've seen... Will. Will. We've seen... Norma. Norma. Who else? We haven't seen any janitorial staff, no maintenance personnel, no other teachers. Who's running this damn place? Like, if the kids are doing the dishes, I'm fine with the kids doing the dishes. Our kids need to do... <laughs> more fucking dishes <laughs> but it's like are those the only three adults on this campus other than cool j yeah i don't know it's i mean it becomes more noticeable as the movie goes on yeah a, the real lack of adult presence and you would think at a bougie private school you know your your teachers would be more prominent i guess i don't know I think that's one of those things, right? It's the number of student, the student to teacher ratio is supposed to be lower in schools like that. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking too much about it. Continue. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> but anyway, cheers the dumb waiter, you know, that's used for passing dishes. And obviously the dumb waiter is a big setup for later events. But um, uh, she goes to open it up and she sees that there are flowers and a map. And as an audience member, I'm going, where the fuck did he get the flowers? Where did he get the crayons? <laughs> Nope. I'm sure they have crayons at a school. Why would they have crayons at a high school? <laughs> For stuff. I have crayons. No, Isabel has crayons that you use. <laughs> but still, I'm just saying. It's and a it school. looks like Isabel might have drawn that map. <laughs> but yeah, there's a map basically leading to the room that they're going to use for the night's 
festivities and such. And so she takes the map and she follows it and, you know, down, I don't even know where this is, but she does take it and she follows the map to where John is. And he basically tells her that he's never actually celebrated Halloween before. And she's like, why? And he very casually says, because there's a serial killer in our family and likes to slaughter people on Halloween. So I feel like we missed something here. So they got back in the car from back in town and they drove up back to the thing, right? Like we're past the altercation on the sidewalk where they're scaring the old people. Michael followed him in that giant ass truck. Mm, mm-hmm. He sat behind them at the gate. You're right. John gets out, goes and talks to Cool J, comes back, gets in the car, and never notices this loud ass fucking smoking the whatever creeper that... creeper truck. <laughs> yeah, whatever the fuck that car's supposed to be. Right <laughs> behind them at the gate. Although I did notice that uh Jamie Lee's blazer doesn't have a rearview mirror in it. Did you notice that? No, I didn't. Like, you never see it. Like when it shows the windshield, there's no rearview mirror there. But still, he gets out, he walks back. He never notices this big ass truck sitting behind him. Yeah. If I have a car follow me more than a few blocks, and I'm not talking about like going down a main street or whatever where everybody has to go, but you're often like residential and somebody's following you for like three or four blocks and you're starting to go like, what the fuck? Well, you know, we've been through that before in Fort Worth. Like, we're driving up there, and, like, if somebody follows me for more than a couple of blocks, I'm like, Ash, get the pistol out of the glove box. No, you're not. Following me. No, you're not. But we do, <laughs> but I do do a thing where I start to take alternate routes just to see what happens. Like, okay, if I go off way here in BFE, you know, as if this person continues to follow me, then I'm in trouble. And if they end up turning off to go somewhere else, then, you know, I feel better. <laughs> but, but you notice, right? Yeah. But you do thing, notice somebody following you. The other thing that, that struck me as odd is that these guys talk cool jay into letting them leave i guess to walk to town but clearly they're a long ass way away from town that's an excellent point that i never thought of that they'll be back for afternoon classes but like when the buses leave later and it shows kind of a wide shot from an elevated position of them leaving it's like they're like way the fuck out there according to this so how the hell they get to town how did they get to town like how were they gonna walk to town steal some booze and then be back for afternoon classes yeah huh interesting lying little bastards (laughs) continue but now we uh we cut to class and they're having a discussion on frankenstein or as laurie puts it frankenstein but uh they're sitting and listening to class and john's making some goofy faces is over at Molly and we get this big call back to 78 where she's looking out the window and she sees Michael standing there. Okay, well I'm glad that that wasn't just for you cuz I thought this whole discussion in the seeing Michael thing was I thought that was just me. No. Good. <laughs> And the Frank Frankenstein, her her discussion, it, it's a lot like Laurie's answer to the thing about fate yes. in the first one. Yes, that well, I mean, is a little on the nose. Yes, because they're talking about needing to confront your monster. But it's not as bad as it could have been because I don't know where this was supposed to fall. But I guess in one of the original scripts, they were going to make the Halloween four, five, and six part of the canon in this movie by having Sarah get up and do a book report on a Halloween book. I wrote hadn't, this by Patrick Star. Yeah. <laughs> on the like a, a novel that was written about the Halloween murders or the Haddonfield murders or some shit like that and she was going to get up and talk about all of it and basically validate the four, five, and six movies. You think it was the book by Malcolm McDowell? It could have been. The Devil Amongst Us? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they decided to cut it out. They never filmed it because I saw an interview with the editor where they specifically asked him about it and they showed the script where this was actually written out and he was like, I don't remember that ever coming across my desk. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm actually really glad that they did not validate four, five, and six in this film because I, I feel like that would have taken away it. from it because they were going to stay in her book report. She was going to call out Jamie Lloyd, like the whole thing. Yeah. And I'm really glad they didn't do that in this movie. I, I can see why they didn't just because it would have 
have made Lori look like a horrible person if she just gave up a child. So I, I get that part of it. But I don't know. It was just this this the first thing about retconning the original series. It, it always feels weird. So you're just not going to acknowledge that this happened at all. Well, I feel like her reveal of her identity later when you get to that is a lot more impactful the way it is because basically they would have been calling her out in the middle of class right here. Mm-hmm. And it and in the, 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 the section of script that I was able to read, and this was from HalloweenMovies.com, again, because it's the official website for the Halloween movies. That's not a plug. <laughs> um, I guess she listens to the whole book report and then Lori like runs out of class and goes to puke. And I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm glad they didn't include that. Yeah. But, and, and the other thing I don't understand is if she's the headmistress, that seems like an administrative position. Why is she teaching a class? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it gave more money if you did more <laughs> things or something. I don't know. But it just doesn't seem like the headmistress would teach class. So you think about it and, um... Which child's play is it where he's in the military academy? Part three. Like there's the guy in charge. The guy in charge that he goes to talk to does not teach class there. He's just the guy in charge. Of we don't see anybody teach a class there. Nobody teaches a class. They just <laughs> kick the shit out of people and play paintball with real bullets. But yeah, but anyway, uh, carry on. So after class is over, Lori tells John that she's agreed to let him go on the Yosemite trip. And, you know, she does the, the mother thing. You know, you got to call me lots of times and just to check in or whatever. And he kind of, he walks away like oh shit but I, I i saw some stuff where they were saying that that was heavy-handed with her having to call but honestly when our kids go on sports trips we do the same damn thing yeah you be sure to call me like, regularly regularly like yeah. every every hour <laughs> so i feel like the people who give movies like this a bunch of shit about the parents interaction with the kids just don't have kids or really hate their kids yeah that too okay we gotta start talking about our kids like people are probably sick to shit of it now i don't care they're my kids <laughs> Like, that's it's our like life. People, when you become a parent, that's your life. It's like people sharing the photos of their dogs on Facebook. Like, okay, we've got I don't give dogs. a shit about their dogs. <laughs> or or somebody's workout or their dinner. Like, oh my God, I don't care. Dogs are dogs. Kids are kids. They're totally separate. <laughs> Hate me if you want. Dogs are not children. Just saying. But Molly is then nervous and asks John, you know, does that mean you're going to go? And he's like, I wouldn't say that. So the buses start to, they're, they're leaving and the score, the original score, score starting to swell and Lori's watching on and g- runs out to go make sure the buses take off and um, then we get to jump scare number seven at this point. I'm so glad you counted. <laughs> you might have mentioned that. I did. <laughs> But she gets scared by Norma, who's leaving for the day, and she asks her if she can be maternal for a minute and tells her that she's she's noticed her at this time of year looking depressed before. And she's saying, you know, basically everybody's had shit, but we got to concentrate on today, which is always funny because today <laughs> is the day that's causing her to be depressed. So, and as, uh, oh, she does get the line from the original, it's Halloween, I guess everybody's entitled to one good scare, which feels forced. Yeah. It's too um, much. Yeah. And that's not going to be the first time in this series that that line is uttered to make us all cringe. But um, uh, as she's leaving, we hear the, we well, first we see the, you know, an in joke of her car from Psycho being there. And then the Psycho score is also playing in the background. It's kind of a neat nod, but at the same time, it's, it's I hate it when people are sitting there beating you over the head. Like, remember, remember, you get it, you get it, you get it. I disagree with you there. <laughs> I think it's really cool. And I think like for me, me, I haven't seen Psycho that many times. I've seen it like twice, maybe, ever in my life. It's it's one of my favorites. So. It's cool for me because I haven't seen it a lot. Mm-hmm. But I can see where if you've seen Psycho a bunch of times, you'd be like, all right, you know, move on. Put it up, we've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's naked. She's juggling. She's got a bottle in her butt. But. <laughs> 
If you've never listened to Rodney Carrington, you should. Oh, did you have to plug that asshole? I did. Anyway, so the buses start to leave Hillcrest, and then we see Michael Myers as the bus is passing him. He's driving on over there in that direction. And now it's nighttime, and Ronnie is sitting again, reading more trash to his wife, and the shape pulls up. More fruit porn. Ronnie goes to investigate the car that has showed up to the gate. And there's obviously nobody around. He goes to his wife and he's like, I'm going to have to call you back. There's somebody here. But for some reason, he doesn't hang up with her. He just keeps being very vague with her over the phone, which would really piss me off. Well, she, she, you can hear her in the background like, I hate it when you tell me you're going to be back. <laughs> Always leave me hanging. You got to go. Yep. <laughs> but Yeah. So <laughs> he goes back to check on it again. He opens the gate this time, which stupid, because obviously that was the plan all along. I mean, which he couldn't have known, but still. But as a security guard, he needed to check it out. Yeah. But so it looked like that truck was parked way too close for that gate to actually open. I kept waiting for the gate to hit the truck. <laughs> yeah. But it didn't. Yeah. But um. so now that he's left the gate open, that, of course, gives Michael time to move in. But and... he doesn't. When he's like looking in the truck, Michael's right behind him. Yeah. And this, this whole whole thing here pissed me off where you see Michael behind him while he's looking at the truck. He goes back inside and closes the gate. You see Michael popping up in different windows. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on your thunder here. But like there were so many chances <laughs> where Michael could have just fucking killed him and he didn't. Yeah, but he goes back to talk to his wife again and this time the the phone lines are cut. But uh... but he got in so much trouble because I bet she was like, <laughs> you hung up on me, you bastard. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But we see, you know, that Michael has been watching him. He's kind of lurking outside the window and everything. But I guess he uh, he moves on. And we cut to Lori leaving her office for the night to go home. And, <laughs> and drink. But uh, as she's wondering, she sees Michael again. And she does the, close my eyes. I'm opening my eyes. I'm closing my eyes. I'm opening my eyes. <laughs> so, and then we get... Jump scare number what? What, what number is this? I think this like is eight. 10. No, I think this is eight. It's number 47. <laughs> yeah, this is number eight, and it's Will scaring her again. He's like, I keep scaring you today. And I'm like, well, make more noise, motherfucker. <laughs> like, announce yourself. <laughs> Maybe he should have been Michael Myers in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but um, she, of course, laughs it off, and um, he tells her he's going to go check on the kids that got left behind, but that he's going to be there soon. And then we cut to Molly in Sarah's room where they're watching Scream 2 because reasons. So he goes, <laughs> he goes, well, I just, okay, so it's Scream 2, but on the screen, isn't it Sarah Michelle Gellar on there? Yes. Is she in Scream 2? Because when yes. I saw that, I thought, okay, so it's I Know What You Did Last Summer. No, she's in Scream 2. Okay. CC. I, I'm so glad I haven't seen Scream 2 enough to know that. <laughs> But yeah, he even says, do you want to die tonight, Cece? I have <laughs> so many issues with this dialogue exchange. And I know you're probably going to walk through it, but... What? The joke here between Will and the girls? Yeah. Him, I like I, this part. It's a Kevin Williamson... Like, a teacher's not going to talk to students that way. A cool teacher would. Okay, but he's a counselor. <laughs> he's not supposed to be a cool teacher talking about getting his fucking nipples pierced. All right, fine. Just step on my dialogue, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> But, Continue. But yes, he asks the girls what their plans are for the evening, and they make kind of a tasteless joke about they're going to grab a couple of guys, put some roofies in their drinks, and have a whole date rape evening, which I went, Ugh. But they ask him what his plans are, or if they want to, if they, he would like to join them, and he says, no, I can't, I'm having my nipples pierced. And I was, yeah, I was like, I wish I had teachers like that, instead of like, you didn't do your assignment for last week, what is the matter with you? So, but um, once he leaves the room, the girls, you know, they sneak out, and, and we get to the 
we get to the room where they're, or building where the kids are going to sneak in. And as John's trying to climb in through the window, he hears something and we see him. He's starting to get a little suspicious himself, but goes on nonetheless. And then we see Lori now in her home and she's making herself a big glass of vodka. For She drinks like a champ. As you do. <laughs> Like, I can't, man. And like, I always I'll... find it funny that she, she goes and immediately chases it with mouthwash. And I'm like, girl, <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> My grandma used to do that shit. She drank vodka because she thought nobody could smell it. You can smell it. You can smell it. <laughs> and Will does show up and he's got a pumpkin and stuff. But then all I have here in my notes is literally horny idiots with food. So, I had some problems with this scene. Number one, she's sitting on top of him, which if Jamie Lee Curtis is sitting on top of you, we I don't haven't know why gotten you're there yet. on anything else. What? We haven't gotten there yet. Okay, well, maybe that's what I was thinking about. <laughs> no, we've gotten to where Charlie and Sarah are taking the food out of the cafeteria. Yeah, and, and they made all the different menu items from the school. <laughs> yeah, and he's talking about obesity being sexy, and I'm like looking at my own chunk here, doing truffle shuffle, and I'm like, just shut up. <laughs> But uh, we uh, we get them, yeah, preparing food, I guess, and some weird choices they had there. Like, there was corn on the cob and shit. I'm like, how are these kids who are hoping to be getting laid thinking that corn on the cob is a good choice? You, you can't get laid if you're making out with <laughs> corn in your teeth. Yeah. But, you know, he stole a bottle of wine. He needs a corkscrew. There's no corkscrew. Ted, where the hell's the corkscrew? Listen, one <laughs> bottle of wine is not going to get four people drunk. <laughs> one bottle of wine barely gets me drunk. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I actually have that in my notes. Ted! <laughs> <laughs> so now travis we're to the part where you were lusting about a second ago and we see that Lori and will are kind of making out in front of fire and for some reason passing gum back between each other's is mouths. it gum i just know that he's yeah. like he's chewing <laughs> he's chewing like, gum if you're trying to get laid chewing is not <laughs> and really he passes it, it to her mouth and she passes it back or something it's all very gross i hate when people do i don't even like it leading the tramp okay, okay i totally missed that and that's <laughs> disgusting yeah that you've said it <laughs> but this is our big reveal where basically Lori tells will her whole life's history or at least the part that matters she tells him when i was 17 or no 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 my brother killed my sister the very large knife and <sighs> but she doesn't start out that way and that's the reason you had a problem with it because she starts out just telling the story yes and then she admits and we had we had a disagreement here when we were now discussing she's this. the headmistress at a posh boarding school and yeah and he's like oh shit because yeah Yes, in the beginning. You're just is... gonna get all ahead and <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But she, the problem that I have in this scene is that she, you know, it's been made apparent that she's very upset. She's depressed. She's having a hard time. And he offered to listen to her. But as she is trying to tell him, finally reveal this part of herself, all he can think about is getting laid. And your argument with that was, I think he doesn't think she's serious. But she doesn't say that it's her until the end. And at the end, he's she like. She started, my brother killed my sister when she was 17. I know. but then, My, meaning and, and me. And then, but he said. She 
when she says, now she's the headmistress at a posh boarding school, he's like, oh shit. And his whole thing changes. Like, Agreed. I think, she, I think she, he thought she was fucking with him up till that point. But it just really got on my nerves that she's trying to talk to him and he's just blowing her off and kissing on her and stuff. And it's like, dude, like get your hormones in check and just fucking listen for a minute. So anyway, but once, yes, once he kind of makes the connection that she's not fucking with him, he's like, oh my God. And his, his whole thing changes after that. Yeah. Just to be fair. Yes, he was just trying to get some, but then once he realizes this is a real thing that she's telling him, it, yeah. he, he redeems himself a little bit. So, so she, she asks him, do you want to drink it now? And he's like, yeah. And then goes on to like, oh my God, you've been living with this for 20 years. And why would he wait this long to come back? You know, the same question we're having, like what's taking so long? Why, you know, why 20 years? And she said, okay, but he sat in a room for 15 years just waiting for me. And then he asks her, how old were you? And she looks over and notices John's late birthday card that he got from his dad, which I forgot to bring up earlier, but um, she makes the connection, 17. So... If you look at the, the the nerd stuff, so there were, there were some people that actually did like a freeze frame zoom in shot on that to figure out what John's dad's name was and that it, what town that came from because it shows the envelope. I didn't write it down. I'm did just they telling you. figure out what it was? It was from like Paducah, Illinois or some shit like that. Uh-huh. I think his name was like Roger or something oh, okay. like that. It, it's, it shows it in HalloweenMovies.com where it shows a screenshot of it where somebody had zoomed way in because they just had to know. I didn't have to know. I didn't care. But Yeah. I always... <laughs> I'm going to have to look it up and do more research. But I had always had this theory that if you're going in the canon that Lori had Jamie, I had always wondered if her dad was Jimmy. And it depends on what version of Halloween 2 you see, because in the version that we're used to, it looks like Jimmy dies. He slips on the blood, busts his head, and then he passes out in the car later. But if you're watching the other version, and I think it's the made-for-TV version, when she leaves at the end in the ambulance, he's in there with her. So I always wondered if Jimmy was supposed to be Jamie's dad. But I don't remember what Jimmy's last name was or if they even said it if it's credited but um once she makes that connection that john is now 17 same year she was attacked she gets very scared and she goes to pick up the phone and realizes the phone line's dead she goes to john's room and sees camping gear in his closet which he didn't even try to hide (laughs) like it's just laying out there so she of course freaks out realizing that he never left when she even says that to him it's like somebody didn't go to yosemite and he's still fucking clueless yeah adam markin does not catch up quickly. And she goes and grabs a gun from underneath her pillow and he's like, whoa, what do you need with that? Which is usually my response to No, that's like a California reaction to guns. It's also my reaction. (laughs) With as many guns as I have, you should not still have that reaction. Well, okay, so I'm thinking of Dr. Loomis in part two where he's sitting in the car after being apprehended by a state trooper or whatever to leave Haddonfield and he pulls out his gun. No, 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 I've got that wrong. It's at the beginning, I think, when they're trying to track Michael down. Loomis pulls out this gun. And he's like, would you put that thing away? <laughs> But anyway, um, so she gets her gun and then goes to the door and we get jump scare number nine, which is now Ronnie. And he tells them, you know, a strange car showed up and she tells him we need to check. We see, we need to see what's going on with the phone lines and go check on the kids. And then we cut back to the kids and Sarah is trying to find Charlie because I guess he's been a little, little bit, you know, him and Crispin Glover trying to find their corkscrew or whatever. <laughs> but, um, well, because, you know, he got told to, this is corkscrew. <laughs> we need a corkscrew. That yeah. ADR was so fucking horrible. We need a corkscrew, man. We need a corkscrew, man. <laughs> 
It's like they got some 40-year-old guy to try to pretend he was Josh Hartnett. Yeah. It was terrible. (laughs) And then we get jump scare number 10, which is Charlie popping up from behind and he's telling her he found wine glasses, but he didn't find a corkscrew. So then he goes into the dumbwaiter to go back up to the kitchen and there he's found the corkscrew finally, but he drops it in dishwasher disposal. And so we get this, it's supposed to be a tense scene of him reaching into the corkscrew and looking at the switch repeatedly and it's very drawn out and ultimately nothing happens. Well, now Jamie Lee wanted him to get his hand ground off Yeah, with that. Yeah. And they ultimately decided not to do it. But apparently she even went and told him that. She was like, I really want you to get your hand chopped off by the garbage disposal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all, all of us that have a disposal, we all kind of have that moment of when we're having to get in there and like, you know, if you get silverware in there and stuff and you go to date out, you're constantly like, oh my God, I really hope this thing doesn't go off right now. But it didn't make sense for him to be afraid of it going off when there was literally nobody in the room but him. Well, I mean, to his knowledge anyway, because he keeps looking back at switch, back at switch, back at switch. But but yeah, uh, Steve Miner said he wanted to defy expectation and, you know, have nothing happen to him. So I don't know. It is what it is. But um, he does get it out where we get jump scare number 11. <laughs> and that's that Michael pops up behind him. And my God, we haven't even begun to touch on this yet, but this is where we see the worst mask in the franchise. So you may just do this real quick? Sure. Alright, so they use like three different masks and that's only if you include the CG mask as a mask. No, there's I think a, that's there's... number four because you got the one from K&B. Maybe there were four masks. That look like the alien eyes and shit. Then but... you've got the one from John Carl Beekler, which was kind of the one left over for, from part six with some modifications. Yes. yes. And then you have one that Stan Winston did and I believe that's the one that they ultimately ultimately decided to go when with. Stan Winston's son worked on this film as well, I believe. I'd have to go back and check that, but I'm pretty sure that his son worked on this film. So yes, there's there's several different masks in this film. They had agreed on one. They filmed about half the movie with that mask. Then somebody said they didn't like it, so they went back and did some reshirts, but they couldn't do them all. And then... It sounded like you said reshirts. Resharts. <laughs> reshirts. They did some reshits. <laughs> Because let's be honest, that's what they are. But there were some where they couldn't do a reshoot, so they did the CG mask. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole history on it. I'm not going to go into it. But yeah, there were at least three, maybe four masks, if you include the CG mask, done in this film. And every one of them was shit. Yes. And we weren't, we agreed beforehand, we're not going to go through here and point out every single time the mask changes. Just know that once you see it, you can't unsee it. I think my issue with it is that he's been wearing the same mask for 20 years. At this point. I mean, in no. this timeline, he's oh, well, been wearing oh, yeah, the yeah, same yeah. mask for 20 years. Yeah, if you retcon part four where he gets a Correct. new mask. Yeah. It should not look new. Mm-hmm. All the masks they picked look new. I mean, it's just bad. I, I don't understand why the mask is such a big deal in this movie. I don't understand why they can't get it right. Why can't they go back and say, this is the one we use, and then we use it the whole time. I mean, I, for I, I fuck's sake, It's the not one... fucking hard, guys. Use the same goddamn mask. Yeah, the ones in 2018 and Halloween Kills, they got this shit right. Oh, goddamn, the mask in Halloween Kills is so good. I mean, I, mean, I know I can't talk about that yet, but it's so fucking good. Obviously, they can do it. So it's like, what the fuck? And the, the thing that bothers me the most, I think, is that these people who created these masks are good companies. These are some of the best effects people in the business. And it's like, you guys can't fucking get this right? It just, it breaks my heart a little bit. Well, these guys are artists. And I I'm know- not. I can't do effects <laughs> because I'm not an artist. But you think you could show these guys, Nick Castle in 1978, and go, I need a mask that looks like that, but older. And these guys who have a talent for art that I do not have could look at it and go, yes, I can do that. Yeah. 
when I'm making my dolls, what I do is I take the subject matter and I go with every detail as much as I can with what's within my power. But I'm constantly looking at the photo to be like, okay, this is how this is. This is how this is. And I try to go with that. But the blame in this particular case is on Steve Miner because he said he did not want to get in trouble for copyright. That, that apparently was the whole issue. So he wanted something that looked similar, but wasn't an exact re- replica. And it's not Michael. Exactly. It's not Michael. Exactly. And they've already credited uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill for the characters. So you can use the mask. Just use the damn mask. I don't get it. It would be like Jason showing up with no hockey mask. That doesn't make any damn sense. Because and this is Mustafa Khan's thing movie. too. So w- w- what rights are we talking about? Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like who who is he worried about the rights for? Yeah. Akkad owns it at this point. I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure that by now he owns it. I didn't go into that whole part, but between him and Miramax, they own this fucking character. Use the right mask. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's and the like, CG mask is just so fucking bad. Honestly, there's a, a YouTube channel that we watch called We Watched a Movie and they have like somebody made a real version of the CG mask and it hangs on the wall in their backdrop. It looks better than the one they used in the actual movie. Yeah. It's almost like he just didn't like it or something because you, you did get Adam Marcus who directed Jason Goes to Hell saying that one of the first things Sean Cunningham told him was, and can we get rid of that damn mask? Which is like, same thing. But then it's not Jason anymore. Once you have a thing, that's that's part of your character, you know? So... Yeah. I, I don't know. They just, they do it wrong so many times. And I don't understand why it took them so many years to get it right. Because I feel like in the 2018 Halloween, they started with the original William Shatner mask. And I know that they probably didn't. I haven't done a research on that. But it feels like they did. It looks like they did. And then they aged it as they went forward. And that feels so much better than the bullshit that you get in between. I just, I don't like it. Which, speaking of masks and Friday the 13th, they originally were going to open the scene with Joseph Gordon-Levitt with him wearing a hockey mask and it was supposed to be a nod to he the did. fact He did. He was that, wearing a hockey mask. Yeah, that What's-His-Name had done the, the Friday movies, but... Yeah, he, he was wearing it. We just forgot to mention it. Okay. But that's just a brief, our brief thoughts on that. Like I said, we're not going to harp on it, obviously, because if you know, you know. So If it's a Halloween movie, the masks are going to suck. Pretty much. Unless yeah. you're watching the first one or the second one. That's just how it goes. Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. But, like I said, we get jump scare number 11 and he turns around and Michael's standing there with this horrible ass CG mask. But I do like this shot that they do have a close-up of Michael's eye and we see Charlie's face in his eye. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> You're giving me face. <laughs> I don't like it. The eye holes were too big on this mask. Oh, I know. I'm just talking about it, it wasn't even the eye holes. It was just a reflection on his eyeball and you see Charlie in there. I thought it was cool. Yeah. And then we get Sarah back to looking at him and she's like, no sex games till I've eaten. And I'm like, well, you're playing the wrong game. So... <laughs> But she opens, or she, the dumbwaiter's open and she sees Charlie in there and then she sees that his neck is slashed. So she starts freaking out and then Michael shows up because for some reason he always shows up when there's a dead body being discovered. And so she climbs into the dumbwaiter with Charlie, not before he stabs her right in the thigh. And then she goes up and this part always cracks me up because <laughs> it's some of the best dead body acting I've ever seen because Charlie's just looking into the heavens very peacefully and I don't know why, but it makes me laugh. It, it looks good because it's really the actor. Yeah. And he said that was one of the hardest scenes he had to film because he basically has to lay there with his eyes open for like two minutes. Yeah. Without blinking, without moving. Oh, it'd be hard. And I'm not saying he didn't do a good job. I just always laughed that he looks so peaceful and serene. Like... <laughs> 
Like he may be singing something in his head or yeah, something. Yeah, because he's got his mouth open a little bit. <laughs> it's it's not bad. And then um, as she gets to the top and starts trying to get out of the dumbwaiter, Michael has taken his knife and he's cut the rope to the dumbwaiter and it collapses right fucking down on her ankle, I guess, or her shin bone. It's on her leg. And well, this is of one course it's on her leg. But on her lower leg. I said her shin or her ankle. Between the ankle and the knee. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of the worst broken legs I think I've ever seen. Yeah. It's bad. It's pretty fucking it cringe. It nearly amputated her leg. Yeah. It, it looked like it was just hanging on by a thread at that point. Yeah. It's pretty good, rough. Good effects. Yes. Good effects on this one. Yes. As, as much as I'm having a hard time with this movie, that was something I did be like, fuck yeah, that's pretty cool. Because it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, I still cringe every time it happens. This is, this is one of the very few dirty moments in a very clean movie, though. Yeah. Because they don't show a lot of this at all. Yeah. And then the dumbwaiter with Charlie in it of course collapses and makes makes big boom big bada boom and so the kids the other two kids in the other room listening to Creed because you did that in the 90s unfortunately they hear the crash so they get up to go see what's going on and once they hit a certain room I don't think it's quite the kitchen yet but they see blood on the floor which I thought the blood looked pretty well because it reminds me of if you're leaving uh, chicken or beef out to thaw or something and then you have blood run out it's you know it's I don't know it's hard to explain. It's not really red, red. It's kind of that pinkish color. Or brown once it dries. Yeah. That wasn't the issue I had with this. The issue I had with this was that are there no locked doors in the school? The kids basically have free reign to go wherever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. I don't, it just didn't feel right to me. Yeah. So that blood always kind of makes me cringe because it looks, to me, it looks more realistic. I'm like, ooh, that's It gross. doesn't look bad. And as they're going to investigate, we see that Sarah's cr- trying to crawl away desperately from the shape, but he does catch up to her. He puts, I think he puts a foot on her neck to hold her down and then stabs her repeatedly in the back. And so they follow the blood and when they find Sarah, which Michael's at this point gone all Texas Chainsaw Massacre into, uh, about it turning her into a lampshade. So that was pretty gruesome. If It feels a little out of place, I guess. And maybe, I, I don't know. It would have felt better in one of the old movies, but this whole movie was very clean. And I think that was part of the 90s thing, like the Scream thing. It's a very polished movie. It's a very polished movie, whereas the older ones were not. Yeah. So this is one of the very few kind of raw scenes that you get in this movie. Yeah. But they they freak out and they run away. And they're as they're running, Molly makes the epic mistake of stopping to breathe. Which, to be fair, I probably would too, just because I'm chunk and out of shape. She'd only run like 30 yards, so... (laughs) Right. Or at least that we've seen. She didn't run very far. But that gives Michael time to catch up and grab her by the hair. And then I guess John attacks him and then he brushes Molly off and he goes and attacks John and stabs him in the leg, which makes me... It's another scene that makes me cringe because the sound of the knife hitting his leg and then John's crying out. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> he did a good job on that scream. Yeah. Like it's not a Wilhelm. He does a good... Like that. that's a pretty cringy scream. Yeah. In, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, because it, it always makes me go, God! <laughs> that felt like it hurt. Yes, really, really bad. And they, but they do manage to get up and start running away again, and they get behind this gate that leads you know, it's a gate in front of one of the buildings and they get on the other side of it, but Molly drops the keys just outside of the gate out of her reach. And she's trying to grab her these keys. And <laughs> I have heard it said that this scene is a little comical of Mike trying to, uh, Michael trying to fumble for keys. But the first time I saw it, I was actually really tense because he, you know, he takes the knife and he starts slashing through the bars of the gate and they're screaming and panicking, freaking out and beating on the door. I was actually sitting in the audience, you know, 14, 15 going, oh fuck, 
oh fuck, oh fuck, you know? And then to me, this is one of the better, one of the, I always love a good face off, okay? Like one of my favorite scenes in the shitty, among shitty alien versus predator movies is you get that epic scene of the alien pulling the predator up to his, to, to face each other. And as much as that movie makes me cringe, that part is so fucking badass. So when we get to John and Molly getting through the door, Lori letting him in, and then she has that face-to-face with Michael, that is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, even though it's through the glass, it's good. I really wish they'd had a better mask for that. Like, yeah, because it was one of the bad ones. Yeah, so, but that part is cool, and I remember being like, fuck yeah, this is what I came here for, so. But Will's like, oh my god, what do we do? And she says, we try to live, basically. So they're trying to, they're trying to hide, and they get the kids stashed off in a closet, and as she and Will are standing in a hallway, we see a shadow approaching, and Will shoots all Barney Five style. <laughs> and um, he's a terrible shot, by the way, because he's just shooting everything around the shadow's uh, body. And But the body does finally collapse, and they walk over to see that it is Ronnie. <laughs> I can already see that Travis is going, I have a bird. His name is Ronnie. His name is Ronnie. <laughs> But he goes over and in a really decent callback to part two, I love to call this the epic wedgie scene or other people call it surprise finger in the butt scene, <laughs> but he takes his knife up through Will's back and lifts him up off the floor. And I'm always a fan of this kill. It, it always looks so cool. And then Will is, it's a choice, but he does this weird shaking, gyrating thing. <laughs> Um, and Lori is just kind of sitting there dumbfounded like, oh my god. And she's just like, look at the blood on her hand. And like, and I'm like, run, run, bitch. Yeah, I don't feel like that was a realistic reaction. I feel like she would have just booked it immediately. Yeah. She knows who this is. She knows what he's capable of. I don't feel like she would have just sat there to watch him dance. <laughs> So Lori goes to the closet where she thinks the kids are. When she opens the door, they're not in there. And she's left this big bloody handprint on the wall. But she uses that to her advantage because um, as Michael comes up to check the closet and sees that there's nobody in there, she jumps him from behind with fire extinguisher. And she... He's, he's just kind of stalking them through the halls at this point. And I know that you said that you thought... Kevin Durand had a good Michael walk. I don't feel like he did. So there are parts of it where it's good and there are parts of it where it's terrible. I feel I like he was too stiff. He he was pretty stiff in some places, but I think a lot of the parts that I have a real issue with are parts where his his coveralls look too baggy. You know what I mean? I feel like in the first one, which I can't, I shouldn't be calling back to the first one all the time, honestly, but I feel like Nick, Nick Castle's coveralls fit better. Mm-hmm. They were very slimming. And in some of this one, he looks pudgy. It's kind of like Friday the 13th where Jason had booty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The one where they're doing paintball. And thick, you're like, thick Jason. And yeah. you're like, that's America's ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I feel like this one, the, the coveralls were too baggy. And, and so when you combine that with a bad mask, yeah, uh, it's bad. But I, I, And I was really critical about the Jason part of it, or the uh, the Michael part of this in the original, like the first time I watched it. But watching it again, knowing that he had never seen any of the other Halloween movies, he didn't do the worst job. Well, he did say that he was approaching it the way a cat, a large cat, would stalk their prey. And so I agree with that because that is essentially what Michael does. I just felt like he was too stiff in places where he was trying to hold something in his butt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like he he can't let it fall out. Yeah. The pickle thing. He's a pickle fucker. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
We're sorry. Watch Clerks too. <laughs> that was mean. Then you'll get it. Um, <laughs> but uh, Lori does eventually find the kids and she gets them out and they go to her, her car. And then in a scream reference, she tells them to go down the road to the Becker's house. Because, you know, obviously that was a callback to in Scream where they said, go down the street to the Mackenzie's house. But in Scream, Drew Barrymore's last name was Becker. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. But John obviously doesn't want to leave her, but she's telling them go, 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 because he's hurt. She's freaked out, whatever. And so they leave. And then once the gate closes, she takes a rock and busts the keypad behind them. So is this a callback to part six where Loomis says, you go, I have business to finish here? I don't think that was intentional. But it feels the same. I mean, if you want to take- It feels similar. If you want to take that from it, fine. I I don't feel like it was intentional on that part, Well, you got to be all condescending about it. I'm not being condescending. It just feels similar. Those scenes feel like they have some commonality. And I've heard differing opinions on this next scene. I happen to love this scene. Travis and I even originally had different differing opinions. And that is that she goes and she grabs fire axe and she starts, the hunter becomes the prey, you know, and that kind of thing. And watching it this last time, I felt good about it. And I was I like, love, that's pretty badass. I love the cinematography of her silhouette there in the middle of the grounds with the axe. And she starts, you know, screaming Michael. This felt to me a whole lot like the scene in Aliens where Ripley's going down in the elevator and you see her like close her eyes and look up and she's like, God damn, this is going to suck so bad. And then when she looks forward and her eyes open, she's like, it's time to fucking go to work. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. And I like it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I've heard people say, oh, it's kind of corny. And, but I always thought that part was really cool. But, but isn't a lot of stuff in horror movies corny? I mean, isn't that part of the reason we love them? Yeah. Because some of it is. Yeah, I agree. But it's like... Okay, I'm going to try not to get too spoilerific here. 2018's been out for a while. People have had time to watch it. But there's the scene where, or not the scene, but you have Lori's character and she's basically armed for bear and she's trained and she's done all this stuff. But if the problem with that is if you retcon starting from part two, you're like, okay, I get it. She went through something traumatic, but has she really earned this type of behavior? It's been 40 years. Yes. Now, this Lori, on the other hand, where she had much more experience with him went through a lot more at this point yes you feel like she's earned this behavior but um then yes she starts to stalk him herself and she goes in through the school she's looking for him through the halls and then <laughs> this was another scene that when i originally saw it i thought it was pretty badass because you're like oh he's so strong <laughs> but... i felt the same way i was like damn that's awesome until i really watched it yeah and now you know we see that su- that scene of him lowering with one arm from a bar above her and now I'm going we had this long shot of her going down the hall and you didn't see and anybody no above her <laughs> yeah like where the like, fuck was he hiding exactly he was he did he was he fit himself in a tiny vent <laughs> yeah and they actually recreate that in resurrection they're like oh well it was good in this one let's do it again no it's not no it's not good <laughs> But she starts to attack him with the axe, but he slashes at the very same scar that he stabbed her in, in in the original. She hides, goes to a room, and I don't even know what this room is. There's a bunch of tables set up, tablecloths, a bunch of flags in the room. Some kind of assembly room, I guess. Could be cafeteria. Could be the cafeteria. She goes and she runs and hides under a table, and then we see, I don't even know how he did this, but he somehow ends up standing on top of the table above her, and it's like, wouldn't she have heard that he got up on the table, like, right above her? Yeah, and this was supposed to be a callback to a scene that never made it to part five. 
right? Mm-hmm. This was supposed to be the one that they wanted to film it in the school, but they didn't. Akkad remembered it and shot it in this one or some shit like that. Yeah. I think it's bullshit. I think so. they thought it was cool. but Yeah, but he starts walking across the tables and then he hops down and he's pissed at this point now. So he just starts flipping the tables like a badass trying to find her. Um, and I do enjoy that part because he, he's, he's genuinely intimidating. I'm over this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she, jump, she jumps out and she stabs him with the flag in the gut and runs to the kitchen where she hauls out all the knives. She starts chunking them at him and then he goes to stab her but stabs through a, a drawer. She ho- holds up a drawer for a shield and he stabs through that, barely missing her. And then she gives him a shot to the nuts with his knee and his fucking eyes back out. I don't know what it is about why they thought that was okay. It's because you can see his eyes in that mask because the eye holes were too big. Yeah. And you see him get the big eyes like, oh, fuck. Yeah. I I'm hurt just, my balls. Like, oh my God. Would, would he even be hurt by nut pain? It just seems like out of character. Every man's hurt by nut pain. Not Michael Myers. <laughs> but not Michael Myers. Yeah. No, he's full on Nicolas Cage getting shot in the arm and continuing to walk. Like that's when he impales you on the flagpole or something because yeah. you just pissed him off, not because you slowed him <laughs> down. Put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> put up your Nick Cage and carry on. <laughs> And then she she uh, ends up like knocking him over this banister back into the cafeteria from stabbing him repeatedly. She jumps out. She's stabbing him a bunch of times. He falls over the banister, lands on a table, and is seemingly out. So she goes down to check on the body. And just as she's readying to stab him, and you're like, you're waiting there like, do it, do it, do it. And then fucking Ronnie jumps out. And I think this is jump scare number 12. <laughs> <laughs> he jumps out and stops her from stabbing him. So then we cut to the aftermath where all the police and paramedics and coroners have shown up and they're getting him loaded up and we see that Ronnie's fine. He's talking to his wife like, I'm gonna write an erotic thriller. Yeah, the bullet just grazed me, blah, blah, blah. So he's fine. John and uh, Molly are fine. Everybody's just kind of waiting around. But then Lori kind of does the smart thing. She's thinking like, you know, I blew him up in a, a room. He, or well, Loomis did, but he's not dead. There's no fucking way he's dead. So she opts to steal one of the cops' guns and hijack the van, the corner van that Michael's in. And then she takes off. She's going down a back road. And we see behind her in the rear view that Michael's kind of starting to move around in the bag. Um, eventually, he does make his way out of this bag. And she stomps on the on the gas and then slams on her brakes real hard, throwing him out of the windshield. And then this part always cracks me up too because he's laying there and then she's like, come on. And he kind of rolls over. <laughs> and then she's like come on, get up. And then he sits up and it's not even the slow Nick Castle sit up. It's just like, like when you got to get up and go to school in the morning, like, ugh. <laughs> I had a different respect for Chris Durand after we watched, was it 25 Years of Terror? Because he really fell off a balcony on a table in mm-hmm. that last scene. And in this one, they really did throw him out a windshield. I know. I'm just laughing at the reaction. I, I know. I'm, and, and the reaction is still funny. I'm just saying that, I don't know, like that different respect for Chris Durand for having done that, like really going through a windshield. Because I guess Jamie Lee helped him pick up the rocks to make sure he didn't land on anything hard mm-hmm. when he went through the windshield. I just, I didn't realize that they really did that. I, I figured there was always some movie magic there, but apparently there's all one shot with him going through the windshield and then sitting up. So to be able to go through the windshield of a vehicle at 10, 15 miles an hour and then just sit up and can, continue on, that's mm-hmm. kind of badass. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just, I can't get over that, the, the reaction. I, I just thought it was, it was really lame. That's all. I'm it's sorry. It's not great. 
But once he does get up to standing, she puts pedal to metal again and hits him, make, causing him to land on top of the hood of the van. And then she drives off the road down a very large hill, because I thought it was a cliff always for the longest time, and drives down. And how this didn't kill her, I have no idea, because the van is just fucking rolling. And how does she find the axe? <laughs> don't know but she does the van pins michael between it and a tree a tree that's fallen over and again scene always cracks me up because once he gets pinned he does this weird gyrating shaking thing and (laughs) it is kind of a strange choice (laughs) yeah he's got he's got the wiggles So get your um, sillies out. Yeah, he's getting his sillies out. But she does, yeah, find the axe. I don't remember her grabbing the axe, you know, to it put it in the van. It was just laying on the ground. So how she got tossed out of the van going down this hill and then the axe just miraculously landed somewhere she could find it without stabbing her on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember her stupid. grabbing it. Maybe she had it, but I only really no, I, remember, I remember her grabbing the gun. Because it shows it like a static shot of the axe laying on the ground. And then she oh, no, no, I remember that. I'm saying I don't remember her taking it to the van with her. I do. Okay. Yeah, because she's got like the gun in one hand and the axe in the other hand. Oh, okay. She's all, fucking put him in a fan, bitches. Yeah. But. So she walks over to him and he's just kind of, you know, laying there and she says his name and he kind of looks up, but he's doing this thing where he starts freaking out and grabbing at his mask like, holy shit, you know? And then she says his name again, Michael. And he looks up at her and then he kind of does his little head tilt thing and he start he takes an arm and he starts reaching for her. Travis is reaching out for me right now because he's weird. But um, <laughs> then she acts like she's going to cry for just a minute and it's actually I, I actually found the scene to be kind of touching because I didn't he's been of course you don't but you have this thing where yes he has terrorized her her whole life but she's still his brother it's kind of a what might have been thing if they had had a normal relationship so she has this this look in her eye like yeah like she's about to cry and she reaches back for him and you know there's there's a minute there and then she suddenly pulls her hand away and chops his fucking head off you can do it! Cut his fucking head off! That's where, I mean... Yeah, it just... And that's a wrap. Well, they cue up John Carpenter's original theme at that point, And we see the ambulances, or hear the ambulances or cop cars starting to approach. And then we get her heavy breathing, much like the original ended with Michael's breathing. So I thought that was a nice touch. However... As much as I loved that ending when I was a kid and I left theater on a high, now it feels anticlimactic. Well, this whole thing was shot with this the intention of a sequel. Yes. Because I guess when she approached them, when Jamie Lee approached them first with, I want to make this movie and I want to kill Michael, they were like, well, we can't really do that right now. We don't want to do that right now. It was in the contract that he's not allowed to be killed off. And she was like, okay, that's fine, but you have to kill me in the next one. Yeah. And that's why they ended it the way they did. Yeah. It's not a bad ending, but I keep thinking that like, so if you expect me to go into Resurrection believing... That this was a normal guy who got crushed by a van up against a tree and he survived it long enough to like make puppy dog eyes at Jamie Lee Curtis. Bullshit. The only person that survives that's Michael Myers. A normal right. human is just dead laying over that tree limb. Exactly. So Agree. this was still Michael Myers. And and that's the reason I you know what? I don't think I've ever watched Resurrection. Oh bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. I'm thinking maybe it's just such a terrible fucking movie that I'm blocking it out. But 
I don't know. So, Travis, what are your thoughts on Halloween this, H2O? This movie's not as bad as I thought it was. And it sounds weird, right? Like, I watched it. I've watched it more than once. But I think I watched it through different lenses this time. Mm-hmm. Because we watched, well, we watched the original, and then we watched Halloween Kills, and then we watched this one, or something like that, in a different order. Mm-hmm. I, I give it more credit now. And now that I've done my research, and I know that, like, uh, Michael didn't know what Michael was supposed to look like, that the, the script got rewritten a hundred times, and Kevin Williamson did his bullshit with it, and I feel better about it. I feel better about this movie. I don't feel great about this. I, I like the lighting. I don't like the cinematography, but that's because I feel like the cinematographer didn't, or the, the DP didn't really understand the purpose of widescreen Panavision. It's not bad. I'd watch it. If you've never seen it, you need to watch it. This doesn't fall into the Thorn trilogy where I know in all three of them, I said, if you haven't seen it, you don't really have to see them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can skip it and you'll be okay. I feel like you should watch this one. Yeah. If you're doing a timeline where, you know, I mean, you can just do that timeline where you watch 78 and then watch H2O. Yeah. And it, it still Or, fits. I mean, I'm sorry, you can watch 78, 81, and then H2O. Right. It's still, this movie is not as good as, as the other two. So I'm not even going to try to argue that it is. But it fits. It works. It works together. All three of those films can work together. Mm-hmm. I, I, I say watch it. That's really all I got. <laughs> I, I just, I would say watch it. If for nothing else, you can see what Scream did to the Halloween franchise in this movie. Ugh. What do you think? Well, I don't hold this film as in high regard as I used to. Over the years, I have, I don't want to say I've lost respect for it, but I have definitely, my opinion has worsened over time just because I don't feel like it was, for what it was, being a 20th anniversary movie, you got Jamie Lee coming back. It, I don't feel like it was handled with the amount of care that it should have been. It has become, like I said, more apparent now that it that's it was it was a cash grab. That's all it was. Green came out and obviously changed the game for movies and everybody wanted to ride that fucking train, you know? Everybody wanted to be Scream. But the thing is, is you can't, it's, it's, it's like 78. You cannot capture lightning in a bottle twice. You know, there are sequels that improve upon their source material, like Evil Dead, you know, Evil Dead 2 went and blew Evil Dead right out of the water. It happens, but that's not always the case, you know? And so the fact that they were trying so hard to make this another Scream movie, it incredibly dates this movie. All the references inside it to different things date this movie. The cast itself dates this movie. So I don't feel like it's, I'm sorry, I, I, I keep sounding like a fanboy here, but I feel like 78 is transcendent. You can watch that in any decade and yeah, there's clothing choices like bell bottoms and stuff or whatever, but it just, to me, it transcends time. That's, it's something you can put on any time and you don't feel like you're stuck in that decade. You know what I mean? Fear is eternal. There yes. Yes. That sounds and cliche. That's my thing is I hate so much that it ripped off a of scream because scream ripped off of Halloween. Halloween was the prototype for slashers. So the fact that you're ripping off the very thing that ripped you off to begin with, it's just fucked up. So that being said, I'm not never going to watch it again. I will still watch it. I suggest if you're a completionist, you watch it. Um, like I said, you can watch one, two, and then this one, but it's not my favorite. I'll say that it ranks pretty low for me. Yeah, this is a tough movie. It's not great. It's not terrible. I will tell you that I probably will going forward be much harder on the other movies because we watched Halloween one the other day and I watched it and really focused on it. And you could immediately tell the difference. And I know you could because I sat almost silent through the entire first movie and then we chased it with Halloween two and I started ripping on it within the first 15 minutes. Yes. Like I could immediately start poking holes in that movie. I never found a place I could poke holes in number one. This one, I started poking holes in it as soon as Third Rock Kid got on the screen. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? But I just, I don't know. I don't want to say that the first one's a perfect movie and that none of the other ones will ever measure up, but damn it, it's pretty close. It's not perfect, but it's fucking close. Yeah. It's, it's just really good. It builds, it, it's got the right amount of suspense. Again, you could tell it's a passion project. Maybe not a passion project, but it's one that everybody really tried on. They really put effort into it. Like, they put their heart into that movie. Yeah. If not because they believed in it, but just because they <clears> wanted <throat> to make it good. Well, John Carpenter said such. He's like, we're just, we were just a bunch of kids just trying to make the best movie we could. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the difference. You never get that in the rest of the Halloween series until you get to the, probably the recent ones. But the well, 2018... Well, I think that's up for debate at this point, too. I don't care what they think. 2018 <laughs> and Halloween Kills, those are people made... It's made by fans. It's close to their heart. That's the reason mm-hmm. they're making it. And I think it ref, that is reflected in the filmmaking. So that's just my opinion. This is not my favorite Halloween, but it's no longer at the bottom of my list. Part six is at the bottom of my list. Yeah. So having said that, let's talk about Halloween yeah, Kills. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a perfect segue into... You start. You start with... <laughs> Halloween Kills. So non-spoilers, no spoilers. Yeah, it's gonna be really hard to not give spoilers in this movie. I enjoyed it. I will say that I probably enjoyed 2018 better. Halloween Kills has its has its issues, um, and so far it seems to be very divisive, much like Candyman was a few months ago. I feel I'm I'm kind of starting to get annoyed with horror fans a little bit because it's like Star Wars fans. You know, they they love it and they're so obsessed with it. But the the flip side of that is that they can be the meanest people too because it's not easy to make a film and it's not easy to make a good film but these people tried you know I said Travis was just saying the people took the care with this one they wanted they put what they wanted to see in this film and we're trying to make something for us and all we can do is do the hipster thing of of bagging on it automatically and those are I don't feel like you can really judge a movie after its first viewing that's just a knee-jerk reaction you know we have watched it. I've watched it three times now. Travis has watched it twice. So I've been able to sit and marinate on it for a few days and really kind of find a, a better basis of argument for what I liked, what I didn't like, what worked, what didn't work. And, and this movie does have its issues, for sure. There were things that I did feel were kind of cringy, and um, but it didn't ruin the movie for me. I've seen people already saying, well, that's it. I'm done with the franchise. Like, what the fuck? Are you serious? Like They're just full of shit. They're not done with it. They're going to go watch the next one. Yeah. That's that's just fucking childish, okay? Like, you can't... I don't feel like you can really call yourself a horror fan if you're going to shit on something the day it comes out. Like, think about it for a little bit, you know? And... Yeah. I enjoyed the cinematography. I enjoyed the score. The score is fucking amazing. I said, I'm always happy to have John Carpenter back in any capacity. Michael, I don't know. They just nailed him this time in these, in these last two movies. They've just nailed him. James Jude Courtney is a fucking amazing Michael. I mean, I I put him right there, right under Nick Castle. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know really what else I can talk about without giving things away other than just right now it's very divisive. And I think that that's unfair. I mean, a YouTuber that I know of, Cody Leach, said opinions are like assholes, but that doesn't mean you have to be one. And I totally agree. There's just, if somebody enjoys something, let them enjoy it. Don't shit on them or shame them for what they love, you know? Like, I'm not trying to be a fanboy here and, oh, well, you're gonna like anything that has Michael Myers in it. That's not true. We've hated, you've heard, you guys have heard us hate on plenty of these movies. So it's not about that. If you've seen part five, then you know not every Halloween movie is a good one. Exactly. And like I said,
said, even in the shitty ones, I can still find some merit in them. Does does it make them good? No. But if somebody says, oh, I fucking hate the Thorn trilogy, I'm going to be like, yeah, I get that. I can understand that. But if somebody says, oh, I love the Thorn trilogy, I can also see that too. I'm not going to jump on somebody for having an opinion that's different than mine. There's a lot of people that like Rob Zombie's movies and Travis and I have gone back and forth on that throughout this month too. Again, they have their issues, but I still love them. I don't, and no matter how many people bitch about what happens in those movies is not going to change my mind with that. Well, to kind of tie into your point there is that people now seem to think that whether you like or they take whether or not you like a specific movie and turn that into a personal attack. Yes. Like whether or not you like that movie is a reflection on your character. And I really feel like that's unfair. If you like it, fucking like it. I'm happy for you that you found something you enjoy because there's not a lot of shit in this world that you can be happy about. So fucking be happy about it if you like it. Hug it. Especially in the world we're living in right now. sheets on it. I don't care. (laughs) Get your Star Wars sheets. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Love it the hell as much as you want to. But don't go shitting on somebody else because they like something different. Exactly. Um, And I think we kind of touched on in our last review. We may like it or not like it, but that shouldn't affect whether or not you like it or don't like it. So even when I say don't bother watching it, go watch it anyway. Yeah. Because even though I don't like it and I would say skip it, does not mean that you should skip it. You might love that movie. It might make you happy. It might touch your heart. It might make, I won't say change your life, but it might really reach you in a place that it didn't reach me. And that's fantastic for you. So don't miss out on that. Yeah. Horror is such a vast genre and varied. There's literally something for everybody as far as subgenres and stuff. I don't, I'm not personally a fan of paranormal, you know? I love slashers. I love body horror, but not everybody digs on that, you know? But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock you for liking that stuff. I'm not gonna be like, oh, well, <laughs> that's just not my thing. But that's the popular thing to do. That's what's happening with Halloween. That's what happened with Candyman. Yeah. People just get shitty about it. Yeah, it, it's, it feels like it's the cool thing to do right now is to get on the hate train. Yeah. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. Like, move on with your life. But don't fuck with other people because they disagree with you. We want more horror movies coming <laughs> out, guys. We we want to see those continue. As they continue, we get the Ari Asters and stuff. People trying to make great content, you know? We need more horror in the forefront. But as long as people are going to keep shitting on it and not supporting these films, the genre is going to die away again like it did in the 90s. I, I don't think that's going to affect whether or not they continue to make them. As long as people keep buying tickets at the box box office they're going to keep making these movies it's whether or not those movies get the recognition that they deserve for some of the performances in them because i know you and i were talking about this well today as a matter of fact there are probably some performances in horror movies that would be academy award worthy but horror movies just don't get that respect and when you go out there and you shit on them and like i'm going to be a fucking keyboard warrior on facebook you you just you you hold them back just a little bit from those performances that are really worth getting widespread recognition from getting what they deserve that's my opinion yeah like what you like, hate what you hate. That's your opinion and it's beautiful. We love all of you. Keep your opinion, but don't shit on us for having ours either. Yeah. So Are you going to ask me what my opinion of Halloween Kills is? Yes. Let's hear your opinion. <laughs> I did not really care for it the first time I watched it. I'm just going to be honest. I didn't. I picked out a handful of things that I really, really liked. I think Michael is really good in this movie. Um, I liked him in 2018. There were several aspects of this movie that I just didn't care for. Mm-hmm. Watching it the second time, I liked it more and have a feeling that if I watch it a third time, I'll like it more than that. Now, having said that there are some still some things that get me there are some casting choices that i don't really understand agree there are some scenes in it where they linger and i don't think they should although i don't feel like they the second time i watched it it didn't feel as long as it did the first time i watched it in the theater i'll just be honest so when i watched it a third time it may not feel like those scenes last as long but the first time around it felt like those scenes lasted forever there's some dialogue choices i don't care for there's some writing choices i don't care for the lighting in this movie is pretty damn good i like the lighting in this movie and that's probably a people think a nitpicky thing to like single 
lot and say I really like it. But let's be honest, if the whole if if Halloween one had been shot under a spotlight, it would be a shitty movie. The lighting is part of what made that movie. I would say that in Halloween Kills, I really wish they'd used more of the widescreen. I feel like a lot of the shots are really tight, not necessarily claustrophobic, but just too close. I would have liked to have seen more of the faraway widescreen Panavision type shots. Maybe that's just me being kind of a fanboy about the first one, but I feel like that added to the movie as opposed to taking away from it. Overall, I like the movie. I think there's probably something in Halloween Kills for everybody. If you're big on film and you worry about the lighting and you worry about cinematography and you worry about all this stuff or you worry about special effects, there's something there for you. If you worry about the acting, there's some really good acting. There's some not so great acting, but there's something there for you. If you're a purist that wants to see a badass Michael Myers, there's something there for you. I I feel like it kind of covers all of its bases, so it's not going to make everybody happy, but it's going to make everybody happy in one place or another, if that makes sense. I don't feel like there's anybody that's going to jump in it like the whole movie, like front to back. And I feel like, Ashley, honestly, you explained this to me the first or the other night probably better. It's the two towers of this (laughs) Halloween trilogy. If you think about it, the first Lord of the Rings was really good. It had a lot of action. It had a lot of shit that you you wanted to see. Uh, Return of the King had some pretty badass stuff in it. But in the middle, you've got to have something to get you from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. And it's not everything. Some of it's just going to be a lot of fucking walking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's going to be a lot of walking so you can drop a ring in a fucking volcano. But you have to get there somewhere. This is sort of the two towers of this Halloween trilogy at this point. And I looked at the movie totally differently after you said that. Like You're the welcome. two towers. The Two Towers is not the best movie in that trilogy, but you have to have it in order to get to the end. Yes. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this one. It makes me feel better about myself. (laughs) So thank you for that. You're welcome. Now, having said that, spend the money, go to the theater and watch it. We watched it in the theater and then we watched it again at home. It's a completely different experience watching it in a theater. Yes. I know we've said before, we fully support, you know, going to your local theater and supporting that business, that local business. This is one of those where you need to do that. Stay safe, everybody. Obviously, we're we're vaccinated and all that and our theater's not packed. So if you can, yes, support your theater, but do be safe. Well, to be fair for us, there were, what, six other people in the theater when we went to watch <laughs> if it. If that. But we went to like an 11 a.m. showing. So yeah. everybody else that, you know, they were working. <laughs> <laughs> so we went during the day. But yeah, be safe, but definitely support your local businesses because I feel like theaters are kind of dying. I know there used to be two of them in an area where we used to go to watch movies because we thought the theater was badass and one of them's already shut down. Yeah. So, but yeah, spend the money and I'm, I'm cheap as fuck. So <laughs> yeah, uh, typically <laughs> I'm not going to go spend, let's be honest, if you take five people because there's five of us to go watch a movie, you're going to spend a hundred dollars. By the time you get tickets and you get popcorn and you get drinks and you're mm-hmm. going to spend a hundred dollars and I'm cheap as hell and I hate that. Go watch the movie. Yeah. It's worth it. Go see it. If nothing else, if you've watched The Lord of the Rings and then you watch Return of the King and you don't watch the two towers you're not going what the fuck is going on in the return of the king you got to see this movie so you know what happens in the final act yeah and you know for those of you who can't get out to your theater peacock. they are stri- streaming it on the peacock app so. and you can watch it as many damn times as you want and i fully intend to we did sign up so that we could watch it again goddamn we'll probably watch it again today i'm probably gonna watch it a bunch more times until they take it off and it's what <laughs> 10 bucks a month yeah without so, ads without ads without ads so you yeah. can watch it as many times as you want without ads for ten dollars a month yeah and this is not a plug by the way we just we're not getting paid shit for yeah it. <laughs> we just yeah it's it's cool to be able to go home and rewatch it and it's cool to be able to rewatch it without spending a hundred dollars to get five people into a fucking movie yeah but let's be honest if you're a fan if you're a halloween fan 10 bucks pretty cheap right you can't even buy one damn ticket to get into a movie for 10 bucks right but so and let's be more honest you could buy this <laughs> you could spend the 10 bucks watch it 15 times and then cancel that shit at the end of the month <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> which is probably what we'll do Ha <laughs> 
But on that note, uh, we're going to go ahead and take off. And this is our, this is the last chapter in our Spooktober series. So next year, who knows? Maybe. I was dreading this shit so bad when we started, <laughs> but I'm kind of glad we did it. Who knows next year? Maybe we'll cover parts one and two in 18 and kills. Who knows? Maybe we might. It's as long um, as we don't do Rob Zombie. We may do Rob Zombie. Okay, listen. I know I've said several <laughs> times throughout this that I needed to watch the Rob Zombie films again and reevaluate my position on those. But we did watch them this month and I've not really changed my opinion on those other than Tyler Maine. Tyler Maine makes a badass Michael. He's not Nick Castle but he's pretty good and he's not even this new guy. He's he's like number three. He's like the third best Michael but I still don't like those fucking movies. <laughs> Anyway, so I just want to give uh, kind of a, a culmination of the content creators that I've brought up throughout the month that love these films. Honestly, kind of, I would say as much as we do now because we completely, um, we did a complete 180 on our opinion on this series and the, the character of Michael Myers. So yeah, we, we love it. We're fans now, big fans. So I want to go ahead and shout out one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> go check out We Watched a Movie. Check out 616 Entertainment. Check out Dr. Wolfula. Check out the Podmortem Podcast. Check out Drum Dums. These people all love this franchise. If you love it as much as we do, go check all of those guys out because they're all fucking wonderful. And I promise if you get sucked down the rabbit hole that is We Watched a Movie and Dr. Wolfula, you might not leave your couch. <laughs> so all of those that you just listed have something. You're going to find something you like in one of those channels. You may not like all of those channels. You may decide you're going to get some wham up in you. And <laughs> that's your favorite one because they're entertaining. You may go to 616 or Podmortem, which are very informative. And you're like, I learned some awesome shit that I didn't know before. And so that's the one for you. But there's something for everybody in one of those channels. Yes. They all are fantastic. They're all amazing in their own right. We love your fucking faces. You just ripped off wham. <laughs> I sure did. And I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for us. We're done with fucking Halloween. We're going to start November fucking finally. And we're going to start back at the beginning. Sort of like uh, where we started with uh, Predator. And we're going to go into Predator 2. I don't know why you hate me. I don't hate you. But I love Predator 2. I just do. And then as we go on, I'll I'll give you guys, I'll, I'll be out on social media. And I'll give you a rundown of what we're going to cover. And then next, before we jump into Predator 2, we're going to have this month's episode of Pillow Talk. So guys, begin those questions in. We want them. We want them. We need them. We love them. Please give us your questions. Give us suggestions for what you would like to see us cover because maybe between when the holidays really start, we may take a break and our first season and pick up next year. Don't know yet. We haven't talked about it, but yes, please let us know what you love, what you don't love. Give us ratings. We need all that shit right now. Real bad guys. We need some goddamn feedback, people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, we'll see you next week with some pillow talk and then after that that, join us for Predator 2. Adios, guys. Bye. Hello, Deadites. Quick reminder that you can find us on the interwebs. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80 and find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for us, email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com. See ya. I've got a soft sport. Ugh. Donald Loomis. In a you said Donald Loomis again. God damn it. <laughs> How many times are you going to do that? <clears throat> Every time. <laughs> Donald Pleasance. <laughs> Can I speak now? <laughs> oh, yes. Don't be like that with me.
I'm kidding. That's going to be in the blooper reel. <laughs> in the son of her... Uh, the one. We recorded that. <laughs> sorry. Good job, Wayne. Continue. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I won't play footsies with you. Your feet you. are so fucking cold. <laughs> Stop putting your feet on my feet. God damn. It's like icicles on my toes. Icicles. What's an icicle? I started to say icebergs. But your feet are tiny, so it's more like ice cubes. <laughs> Get up, get up. I'm ready, baby. Oh, we're going now? Yeah, we're going now. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) But Ronnie goes to investigate. (laughs) Stop laughing at me. We see Michael. I have a hear that he's... I'm sorry. I'm getting all over the place. Did a... We did a complete 360. Sorry, 180. <laughs> You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> These are some of the be- best. Blah. And she ride. She rides. <laughs> I am not responsible for you. That's it. That's enough. I can't take it.